on today's show. We are getting to know John. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. I found out John is volunteering and uh, appreciating teachers more and more each time he does it. John, thank you so much for coming on, letting people get to know you, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me, man. It's an awesome thing you're doing, man, and I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I I don't remember. You're one of the few people, and I forget how you messaged me back, but you were one of them that was a little skeptical about getting a random message and it's kind of nice to like help me explain how I try to connect with people. So I always appreciate it. I don't even remember what you, what made you want to come on other than like, Oh, I think my brand could kind of go with your audience. Or I think what I create could kind of go with your audience and maybe even with the kids that you teach. And I thought that was really cool. And then all of a sudden we start talking about teaching. Um, so I guess before I get too far into it, Success is certain is your clothing and lifestyle brand? Yeah, I call it a lifestyle brand definitely because I feel like it's more of a mentality and a way of life. And I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into just being like a, you know, street apparel or fashion apparel because then you kind of get away from, you know, what I feel branding is. It's like a message. Like every drop that we have, there's a message behind it, it's a meaning towards it. And I feel once you start to teeter into, you know, fashion and things, now I got to 
try to, you know, camouflage is hot now, or we got pink with sparkle. Like, we didn't want to do that. You know, we wanted to kind of just stick to the brand and, and kind of, you know, go with the brand's messaging, which is just like manifestation and, and seeking fulfillment and graciousness and things of that nature. It's something I struggle with. The speak it into actuality or, and I even fuck up the saying, man, but like just the divine belief in myself and my own powers. And then I look at myself and I'm like, what does it hurt you to be more positive? Like, what does it hurt you to put out some good energy and see what happens? And I've really liked, not only because it's alliteration without having the same letter. And as an English teacher, I just love like success is certain. I, the, the ring to it's great. The alliteration's great. It's very poignant. Um, so it's interesting to me that you were focused on the manifestation of success. I, I think more people need that positive reminder about, hey, man, more, more is in your control. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think throughout our conversation, I'll end up telling you different events in my life that kind of led to, you know, what this brand is and what it is now. Um, but overall, it's, it's just basically about fulfillment and what fulfills you. Like, let's, let's say you ask 10 different people what success is, you probably get 10 different answers. Yeah. So right there, that just tells you that success is subjective. Um, and I think until you start to make your journey through life and kind of figure out and differentiate what you want, what you need and what fulfills you, it's kind of like a hamster wheel that you're chasing because we don't know what success is. You know, if we go off of Instagram, everybody's successful. Everybody's, it's a highlight reel. Everybody's posting their highlights. So, you know, and even from a surface level, everybody could say, well, I want to make a million dollars. But, you know, once you make a million dollars, if that's all that you want to, if money is the only thing that motivates you, you think you're going to be happy when you get that million? Like, no, you're going to want to make two. You're going to want to make three. Um, you know, what I like to tell people, like, if, if it was that simple, like, why are there so many celebrities and famous people who are depressed? You know what I mean? Because it, it takes getting to that point to realize, you know what, like, there's more out of life. You know what I mean? What fulfills you? And I feel like once you do that, then now success becomes tangible and something you can work towards every day. And you kind of have a more of a sense of purpose in what you're waking up and doing. So, um, that's kind of the premise of what success is certain because you determine what success means to you. Dude, I love it. I, I think it was Jalen Rose or maybe it was Jacoby. Um, and I forget Jacoby's last name, but Jalen Jacoby on ESPN. Basically, it was like um, success is a function of expectation. <laughs> yeah. And it was so simple. But what you're saying is like, yeah, you determine what is successful. It And it's different for everybody. And if you can do that, you can find yeah. happiness in such little things without always feeling like I haven't made it. I'm not good enough. Well, yeah. I mean, cause I mean, just look at it from like people that we hold at high regard. Like we all like, especially like in, in the hip hop culture community, we look at Jay-Z as like, man, that's Jay-Z. But you think Warren Buffett would be happy if he woke up with Jay-Z's money tomorrow? Like <laughs> probably not. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. again, it's just, it's different levels. And I think we get so caught up in social media and chasing what we think it should be and not necessarily what, what and, I, and I'm not telling people to be complacent or not want more out of life, but I'm saying that if, especially after COVID, if we took more time to celebrate those small victories and things that we could be grateful for even after all the chaos, then I just think we would just overall be better people. And, and it is just, you know, like I said, wake up with a sense of purpose. We all have something that we can be grateful for, you know, 
even though we know that we don't have everything that we want out of life. Yeah. And why do people make it so complicated? It's just so simple. <laughs> it's almost, I mean, it, yeah, but I mean, like I said, it, it's, it's a, it has to do with so many different things. Like I said, like society, social media. I think social media is such a big factor in a lot of things, in dating, in life, because, you know, I know so many people that would rather, you know, put more effort into their social media happiness or their persona on there than they will in their actual life. Like, you know, they're posting and you think everything's perfect and happy but they're really miserable. And I just feel like if we took more time to work on that actuality, then you would have less of that. You know what I mean? There's sometimes where I just want to, you know, put my phone down and not even look at it. But, you know, unfortunately I have to for my business and whatnot. But, you know, I just think that, you know, we kind of got to wind it back a little bit, get back to just, you know, loving each other and getting to know each other, you know, different things. That we can't, we're such a, like a, I call it like a fast food society, like with anything, like we see something and, we kind of relate to it. We automatically retweet it without even reading it. We just, we'll just retweet it. Like, <laughs> I could make up something and I could say whatever I want. And on the inside of the article, could be the same word a thousand times. But most people would never get inside of that article and realize, you know, it's just like, I don't know, man. It's instant, grat- instant gratification, I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, an, I'm sure there's something scientific to the fact that it's like endless. And you've said a couple of times about like, hey, man, set a goal, get a purpose. Like you go into social media, there is no real goal and purpose when you start scrolling because it just keeps fucking going. It's not a race that ends. It's right. Not only that, they they took a lot of the originality out of it because like if you look at Instagram, for example, they're trying to mimic TikTok, which kind of took over the world. And when you think about it, all TikTok is is reenacting the same skit over and over. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, And that's kind of you know, what's happening. It's like, instead of me, instead of me being Mr. Tomlinson coming up with something original, unique, like I might do that. And somebody that might have a bigger following or that's more visually appealing, they'll take it and then they'll take it. And somebody, you know what I mean? Like it kind of just took away that whole originality thing that you know, I feel like used to be something that was held at a higher regard. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully originality that you think of hip hop, you think of music, you think of art, you think of clothing, you think of food. You're like, that's original is what you seek, right? Like the friend, nobody wants to be a franchise in anything artistic. Although franchises do make money, right? Like, but nobody's like McDonald's for the taste. I don't think, I feel like it's McDonald's because you're ignorant to what real food tastes like, or you're at McDonald's for the convenience or you're at McDonald's for the cost, but you're not at McDonald's because you're like, these are the best nuggets I've ever had. This is the best hamburger I've ever had. What you do is when you travel, you hopefully try to find something that's more original. What's their spin on a hamburger? And I want to enjoy that. I agree with that. I also like kind of how you related to music. I feel like the people, the artists, the, the talent that is more original, those are the ones that have the longest longevity. Yeah. Because if you're doing all the, the stuff that's hot right now, that's the, pro, that's the what is it, what's the, what's the term, the frying the pan or whatever it's called, like, that's the people that are here to get eaten going tomorrow. They come, they get their money, and they feed because you're mimicking the sound, and we know how much sound and things change over time. So the people that actually, you know, take pride in their, um, you know, in their lyrics or learning how to play an instrument, things of that nature, those are the people that end yeah. up having those long careers and that, um, 
you know, are highly regarded, you know, I find. Yeah, because they can manipulate. Um, I think it was maybe a couple of years ago where Eminem, was it Machine Gun Kelly? He was he was going at a couple of different people and just kept like fucking, he just kept killing all the mumble rappers. And now, yeah. I don't know if it's me being a boomer, but like the auto-tune, I'm over yeah. it, man. Like why the fuck does everyone want to have their voice sound the same? It's I, I coach basketball as well. And it's something that can get lost if a kid goes, if too many kids get professional training, it's like, why is everybody's jump shot the exact same? Like, where's where's the style in what makes you you? Like, yeah, your elbow's fucked up. And I get it, right? Like, there's a certain way to do it. Lonzo, you can't hit a three. We got to fix your jump shot, get you right. But at the same time, it was like everyone knew Lonzo's jump shot. Kids would try to shoot like Lonzo. And if it was going in a decent clip, if he'd have maybe doubled down and honed in on it, um, right. it would have been his thing and that's a very cool i don't know like to me that's part of life like you're an individual so you should have your own style you should have your own brand you should have your own personality you shouldn't have a ton of mimicking because then who are you you're always going to be in crisis you're always going to see conformity and it that just seems like it would make you sad yeah and like i said with the depression thing and and you're hearing more and more people be vocal about it i think that's what ends up happening you get caught up into you know, all that things that you previously mentioned. And, um, you know, you kind of get to a point where you look in the mirror and just be like, you know, who am I and what does that mean? You know, to myself, that originality, when you start acting outside of yourself and you do that because you're keeping up with the Joneses. That's what my dad used to say to me all the time when I would want something that somebody at school had. Like, you didn't, I didn't quite understand that then. But, you know, I, I think we all go through that phase and then you get to a certain point in life to where, like, you're comfortable in yourself. You yeah. know what I mean? Like this is me, you know, and um, you kind of, you kind of get comfortable in that feel from that. Yeah. You get comfortable and learn how to apologize in a real succinct way for uh, being you. But like, dude, I'm not trying to offend you. It's just how I am. I'm sorry. And you don't get offended when people are offended by you. You're like, yeah, I'm a little yeah. bit of a sarcastic dick. I apologize. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No, nah. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with all of that, man. But, um, you know, as, as for back to what I was saying about success is certain and, and, and kind of how it started, a, a while ago, I got to a situation, I got in trouble, and um, somebody that was a complete stranger, like, offered to help me out in the situation. I'm like, dude, like, you don't got to help me. Like, I'm, I'm going to figure this out, whatever, whatever. And his exact response, and this is crazy, I don't even remember this person's name. So he has no idea how, like, this was, like, one of the early catalysts in, like, changing my way of thinking. Know what I deem to be successful or successful person. He was like, "Look, man, I make eleven fifty an hour. This is probably two thousand and nine. Like, I make eleven fifty an hour. He worked at a fireworks factory. He was like, I'm able to take care of my wife and three kids. You know, all my friends are like dead or in jail. You know, in in trouble, or whatever. He's like, I'm a family man. I love you, and I'm successful, and I want to help you. So now, young me thinking like, this dude just told me he made eleven fifty an hour. Like, what are you talking about? He's successful. Like, this, but." Then when I thought about it more, I was just like, well, why isn't he successful? And he just said that he's a family man. He's able to raise his wife and kids comfortably. That was important to him, like, for whatever reason it may be. Maybe that's something that he wanted when he was coming up or something. So he's a family man. He's not in these streets. He's doing whatever. And he's happy. He's content within himself. So not only is he successful, but if he didn't feel that way, he wouldn't have put himself in a position to help me. And I felt like that was super powerful. 
and impactful because again, like if everybody just realized their sense of purpose or their walk with, you know, whatever God they pray to, whatever it's their walk, and they stop comparing it to whatever they see on Instagram or TV or whatever, then like I said, you just have more, you know, prideful, nice people, you know, kindness, mindful, things of that nature. So that was kind of one of the first things that helped kind of shape, you know, this sense of purpose. If you don't remember his name, why was he in a position to help you? So, all right, look, I'll, I'll try to keep the story as <laughs> short as possible. And you uh, no, you don't I have to do, be. That's kind of the point of the pod, man, is to be able to get into stuff. So don't feel rushed, yeah, all that to say. Don't no, feel rushed. So it, it was like, so this was when I was in college, and I had, I got like a DUI in college. Like, I, I always jokingly say, I don't trust if you never had one DUI, but that's a bad joke. But anyway, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was kind of like an unexpected thing. I was an athlete. It was one of those things where they wanted to kind of make an example out of me. So, like, you know, things that I was facing was a lot different than, like, what most people would have seen out of the U.S. So, um, you know, when it happened, um, like I said, it was unexpected. So I had to, like, I had to go in for a couple of days. And, you know, I, he was like, I want to I want to get you some commentary. Like, this story's crazy. Like, I can't even believe you're in here. There's people in here with, like, six DUIs. You know what I mean? Like, here I am. I'm in here. They're like, what? Like, you're a college kid, whatever, whatever. So... You know, he was just like, you know, I'm going to put some money on your book. So, you know, I've never been through the system like that or anything of that nature. So at first, I'm like making sure he's not on no funny business. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> don't, don't get it twisted in here, man. Like, like um, are you buying more than my friendship? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you know I think all the jail shows at that time, eyes and all that. Like, this, this ain't that type of party, buddy. Um, but no, he genuinely was just like, no, nah, like, you're a young kid. A messed up situation, and you know, I, he felt like he was in a position to help me. He, he was in a position to help me, like, and he did it like literally right away. I think he was like getting out of there, he was in there for something stupid too, but he was like getting out of there the next day. And literally, like, I got a thing, he said, There was money in my book, and I'm just like, Wow, <laughs> like, that was crazy to me. Like, and like I said, I don't know, I don't know the man's name at all, I don't even know, <laughs> but that was one of. When I say, like, so one of the terms in success is certain, like, I have a lot of hashtags that I like to use beyond success is certain. That's the mantra. Um, and for those who don't know, the, the, the definition of mantra is like a, a phrase or term used to aid in concentration. So that's kind of what the premise of, my, I think, my very first shirt after I created my logo was, um, you know, creating that mantra, success is certain. And, you know, drilling people's head, like, this is what a mantra is, how it should be used, and this is what the mantra is. But the other one is perspective is everything. And there were multiple situations throughout my life where it just kind of changed my perspective of things. And that was one of them. So, you know, not soon after going through that experience, um, you know, and then soon after one of my favorite rappers, Royce the Five Nine, you brought up him then. Um, he made an album called Success is Certain. And oh, his his take on it was a little different. It was more like bravado, like yeah. I'm the best type of thing. Um but again, if that's his definition of success and being the best one with his craft, then that's his walk. So um, those were two, you know, early moments, you know, that happened. And then a couple other a couple other situations happened later in life. But um, what really took it to apparel was COVID. Um, oh. So when I first moved here to St. Petersburg, I'm from Ohio originally. And now I live in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I moved here in 2014. And to familiarize myself with the 
city, I joined the St. Petersburg Young Professionals. That was just because, you know, they were doing things in the community. I'm thinking, like, all right, I'll meet some like-minded people, you know, that might be, you know, within their career that still like to go out and do fun things. Um, one of the groups were, like, a community and action group that I got involved with, and they started doing things in the community to speak to kids, hang out with people at old folks home, things of that nature. And, um, you know, so I used to do speaking engagements. And, of course, when COVID happened, those fell off. So we couldn't do that anymore. So I was just like, all right, well, this is something that I enjoy doing. What's a way for me to kind of continue to, you know, spread this message that I felt like I was meant to spread to certain people, um, you know, without actually being in person? I was like, you know, maybe I'll make a couple T-shirts. You know what I mean? So I started off with this 25 and, you know, I've researched it. I didn't want to cut any corners. I wasn't trying to use, like, the cheapest materials. I wasn't trying to, you know, I wanted to get stuff that was pretty strong. You know, I took my time to think about it. And I just pretty much was like, this is what I'm doing. Here it is. It's my passion project. And I made 25 to start with, and I sold out of 25 super quick. And this is without a website or anything. This is just off of the strength of people knowing me and, you know, kind of digging when I put down. So I just kind of was like, hmm. I'm like, all right, well, let's do another drop, and this one means this. And, um, you know, I, I think I did 45 on the next drop, and I sold about half of those. I'm like, okay, like, there's something to this. Like, I feel like it was, I call it a passion project that grew less. And <laughs> um, <laughs> that's when I decided to kind of just invest in a little bit more and, uh, you know, created a website and, you know, just, you know, ramped it up. And now we're just kind of going there. I think that apparel has started, it's been around for coming up on two years now and um, but the messaging like I said it's lifestyle it's a mindset I feel like I began this mindset and way of living or at least trying to incorporate it in my everyday life since you know the previously mentioned situation I had in 2009. Yeah so you go back to the DUI as kind of your watershed moment almost like your origin story? Um no, I mean, for like positivity. I guess I'm thinking of the like positive mindset. And I'll, I'll preface it with this. Something I've discovered about myself is I'm way too negative. My thoughts go way too negative. I've spoken to a lot of positive people and I'm like, I just feel like shit talking to you, man. Cause you're optimistic. <laughs> you know how to like flip your perspective. Like, and it's genuine. You can't talk to somebody for a couple hours and have them fake it. Right. And I'm like, dude, I'm so jealous that it is natural. It is very hard work for me to just be overly positive. I feel I can be complimentary, but I'm cynical, like in a dark yeah. way. I have like a lot of negative self-talk when I'm trying to motivate myself to get over something hard. And yeah. so I guess that's why I didn't know if it was um serious enough to like flip and you actually noticed a change in your thought pattern. Cause I still haven't had one. <laughs> well, it, it's, um, it's a conscious effort for sure. Right. And I, similar to you, I'm, you know, it was the same way. And it's, it's, don't get it wrong. It's nothing. I'm not like the type of person that wakes up in the burger church and then I'm frolicking through the wilderness or nothing like that. Like, it's definitely nothing like that. But it's definitely a conscious effort. And I, I really think, you know, once you go through certain things, you might hit rock bottom or what you think to be rock bottom in different times in your life. And you kind of just think, well, you know, I tried it this one way. Let me try it this way. And, you know, you start to kind of talk to different people and, hear their experiences like I would say like I had a I had some health problems a little while ago and it sent me down like a, a journey of just like 
non-traditional things, non-traditional ways of medicine, non-traditional ways of healing, meditation, just to kind of just, you know, why not? Because, you know, when you think about it and the theme of things, it's like there are countries that aren't as medically advanced as we are, but are living to be a lot longer than us. You know what I mean? Like, to me, like, the way my brain wanders, it's like, there's got to be something to that. Let me kind of learn, you know what I mean? You know, so it's, it's the same thing with my way of thinking. Um, I met somebody that was super into, like, meditation, and I, like, you know, I'm just like, that doesn't work. Like, what do you mean? Like, I'm going to sit and hum and all of a sudden, but, you know, I, I went to a couple of guided meditation classes, and I would say maybe only two of the times I felt like I got to an elevated state to where, like, I was like, holy shit, what just happened? Like, I'm, I literally remember I went and called my dad, and I was like, dad, I don't know what happened, but, like, I was meditating, and I felt weightless. Like, I literally, it's going to sound crazy, but I literally just felt like I was, like, floating in the mouth. And that feeling only lasted for, like, a minute. But, I swear to God, I see how you're looking at me. I swear to God. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm think, I, I'm looking at you in awe because I have not experience that i've heard people speak about it when they've been on like ayahuasca or psychedelics but to get there through the pure meditative form seems a little more rare where you feel elevated just by guiding and controlling your breathing focusing your mind so that that was like it wasn't a look of like skepticism (laughs) of like man this fucking kook it wasn't anything like that it was more like in an admiration of being able yeah. to naturally achieve that sort of state. Like that's, that's cool. It's definitely difficult. Um, you know, so I went to this local place that was called uh, Shambhala and they just basically talk about the, the art of mindfulness. And the first thing they say is acknowledge your scatterbrain. Like, you know, my first time I'm in the class and I hear cars going by and things of that nature. I hear a guy breathing weird. And I was like, you got asthma or something. And like, they're just like, it's okay. Like acknowledge that. But in acknowledging that, just be like, okay, now I'm gonna, I'm giving my, I'm giving myself the, the, the luxury of taking, taking satisfaction in my breath and appreciating my breath. So for now, I just want to focus on my breathing, and I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna breathe. Whatever you know, I choose to focus my eyes on, that's gonna help me focus on my breathing. That's what I focus my eyes. They could be the, the pattern, the pattern shirt. Of the person in front of me it could be the picture on the wall whatever it is let's just focus on that and focus on our breathe and literally what i found i went from not as in my scatterbrain to then breathing and then all of a sudden all i feel is my breathing like i just feel myself breathing and nothing else like i don't really feel anything else around me and that's where i said the, the lightness came in now i don't i'm not always able to get to that point because you know we have so much going on in life and it's hard to get rid of the static and the noise but like, like with anything, it takes practice. You know what I mean? Like, what I say, like, what do they say? We use, what, 20% of our brains or something like that? <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's less, like that's on average. So, like, for guys, it's 10. For women, it's 30. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, they say we use, you know, a certain amount of our brain power. But yeah. it's like, okay, like, with that, we also know, is it, what is it, Pavel theory or whatever? Like, you can think yourself, you can think that you're sick and actually become sick. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What's that? Called? Yeah. So yeah. So it's like the Munchausen syndrome is like where your parents convince you you're sick and you feel like shit, or it's like the placebo effect with drugs, where you heal yourself just because you believe right. something is helping you. Right. So for me, again, I'm like, I'm not into astrology really at all, but from my understanding, Capricorns are supposed to be like super logical. 
So for me, logically, <laughs> I'm just like, well, shit. Like, if your mind is strong enough to make yourself think that, that you could be sick, like, what if I was able to take that same thought power and thought process yeah. and put it forward? You know what I mean? <laughs> See, dude, that's where, like, I, I try to be very pragmatic with my thinking. And I'm like, all right, dude, so if you accept the placebo effect, you have to then accept the fact that the human brain can dictate change that isn't being caused by anything else other than a thought, a thought. But see, here's the fucked up part is it's like you got to lie to yourself, right? Like I'm taking a placebo and I really believe it's a drug that's helping me. But like having the mantra, and that's where I get it, I get lost with the manifestation because if I'm manifesting something, it's like, do I really believe it or do I hope for it? And I like, I feel there's a very big difference and maybe I just don't have the confidence. Maybe I don't have the swag to be like, oh, success is certain for me. Maybe I'm like, ah, dude, you're kind of a skinny little bitch. I don't know if you're going to be able to make this happen. And well, that's where I, I get caught up. I, I think... I think maybe why you may, where you may be falling short in that is just stopping at the thought because I feel like an action has to come after the thought. You know mm. what I mean? Like it can't just be like, I think I want to make a million dollars. I'm going to make a million dollars. Like you got to put that shit in action. Like yeah. I've never been the, and that's why I can't always be a hundred percent believer in things like astrology and things of that nature. Cause to me, it takes away the free will of it all. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, for me, like, I didn't realize the power in, in in visualizing, you know, making goals and things of that nature. And still, like somebody said, like, yeah, you could have a goal and say, I want to lose 20 pounds by this time. But until you write it down, maybe put it on your refrigerator and look at it and maybe put down, you know, steps that you want to do to work towards it. And then not only that, you might look at it on the fridge six months later and, and reassess, like, okay, is this still important? Yeah, right. You know, based off of life. And what's going on and what's changed? Is this something that is still important for me to still you know, work towards? Or I might have this whole other goal. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, you might discover a better purpose along the way where you thought that was right. important to you. And then you put in the work to go after it. And you're like, you know what? If being a millionaire is all this work, I'm fine with being like a six-figure heir. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think what it is is, you know, excuse me. Um, none of us have it figured out, man. None of us. <laughs> and it's fluid, right? Like shit always changes. Kids go through 35 jobs when they're like between the ages of four and eight. And then you go to college and you discover a different a career path that you had no idea about. And then you hit a midlife crisis and it's a midlife crisis for a reason because you reevaluate things and you're like, why did I put so much importance on this aspect, right? Like people are organisms that are growing and changing and your environment changes and why wouldn't you change? Right. And I think well, the important thing like that I've that I believe when I when I have these kind of talks is I, be, I I find myself to be a man of action. Like I take a lot of I take pride and comfort in creating a plan and trying to stick with it. But then having the awareness of, oh, we need to we need to we need to pivot because you're paying attention to the results of your plan. So in order to have a good plan, you've got to have a goal in mind which means you've achieved it and you got to have a course of action that you believe is the best way to achieve that goal. And then as you're going towards that goal, you reevaluate constantly. Right. Right. And, and man, so much I want to get to with, with, with Yeah, dude, no, don't, don't feel rushed. I don't mean to cut you off, but it's just funny oh, when no, you no, talk no, to I, people, how 
your mind can start to like, at least for me, part of what I found really cool with this podcast is I get into conversations where I'm finding like my own core values and my mind gets to drift to, do I believe that? Do I not believe that? Well, if I do believe it, why? And then you start rationalizing and it's, to me, it's really neat because I don't know how often that affirmation with a lot of strangers from different places happens for people. I think you get in your little section and it's that echo chamber syndrome where a lot of things get solidified and then you get scared to change because you're breaking from the mold of your support system or your echo chamber. And so anyway, if that's like happening for you or something, man, don't, uh, don't feel bad to interrupt me like I interrupt you <laughs> and go no, off on no. some thought pattern. No, you know? you're cooking. You were cooking. I'm letting you cook. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just like, I, I felt like what I was going to say, like what you were saying is like how when you're like going through life and you're like kind of trying to figure things out. I think the reason why so many people um, get to a point of struggling is because for some reason we have this predetermined way that people should live. Like, go to school you get the grades you should go to college stop right there yeah. <laughs> like and one that's not for everybody and two like you kind of took away like there's people that have trades that are you know doing well in life like there's people that have trades that didn't suffer when the pandemic came yeah. because you know what you know what i mean so so already off the bat you have an added pressure that you're supposed to go to school get your grades go to college so you're comparing this to like what even if your parents didn't go to college they want you to go to college because that's what we're told. You know what I mean? So I think as good as the American dream is, there's so many like, okay, now you go to college, you're 25, you meet somebody, you date them for a couple years, you get married and have kids, and you buy a house. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so a lot of people are comparing their life to, and not only that, we're in the information stage where we can, everything's more visible. Like, think of it this way. If you were from a small town 30 years ago when there wasn't all this social media or whatnot, you were a product of your environment. You're only comparing, and it's funny how we got this. We're actually about to get to the next point that I, that I felt changed my life into this whole perspective of everything. You're a product of your environment. So because you didn't have the internet, you didn't see what this person in LA is doing, what this person over here is doing. The the ladder of which you measured, you know, quote unquote success is the, the person you admire in your neighborhood, in your small town or whatever. Like that's naked, potentially. Perspective. Like, perspective. Perspective, my friend. Right. So 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 for me, so again, I'm I'm kinda of going back and forth, but I think that's where the conflict starts to go in because, you know, you get twenty five, you're like, Oh, well, I don't have my first hour, I didn't graduate yet, or this, that, that, this. And not only that, I'm seeing online it looks like everybody's having fun and spending money and going on trips and things of that nature. It's the noise that's coming from the outside. That's coming from the outside. That's not even coming from what's you know what I mean? And I think that's where things start to kind of get conflicted. Um, it's a gift and a curse. Like, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for technology and all the things that it allows us to do and things of that nature. But I do think that, you know, a lot of negative comes from it, too. And if, if you're not aware of it or, you know, it can really do some damage to you. You know what I mean? You're comparing yourself to people that you don't even know, that you never even met. You're never yeah. even going to meet. You know what I mean? Like, who's, why do I care what... Kardashian's doing. You ain't never gonna be hurt, and you ain't got that type of money to change your body like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you don't get whatever the exposure. It's a right. different. 
Like, dude, your your dad was on the fucking, or I guess it's your mom now, maybe. But like the <laughs> someone someone who gave someone whose genes are in your gene pool was on the fucking right. Reedy's box. Like, yeah. that's a pretty good advantage for you gonna be something in life versus your whoever your provider was a factory worker for 30 years hard worker intelligent climbed a ladder showed up every day great traits traits we all admire mm -hmm. probably not gonna have the same advantage if you're not the kid of someone who is on wheaties box exactly and, and yeah. again it's i think unfair that's comparison. where that's where you know the conflict begins and it happens at such a younger age because you know you care more about what other people think when you're younger you know um so, but now to get to, you know, my point of saying, um, you know, another situation that kind of changed my life. When I was here volunteering, I met a kid who never left his county. Like, and oh, he was dude. a part of this program where um, it was a guy who had like an MMA studio locally. And he was taking these kids. These are kids that were like from the inner city and whatnot. And he was just like driving them to do like CrossFit games and stuff like that. So um, I'm talking to a kid that uh, just competed in one. And I was asking him, like, hey, like, how'd you meet, I think his name is Mark. Like, how'd you meet Mark? And he was like, um, he said he decided to join a program because um, his friends in the summer, in the summer, they didn't have nothing to do. So they would just be outside hanging out with all the kids, older kids, grown kids. And um, they were in a rough neighborhood. And he said, you know, his best friend uh, got ended up getting shot, like, right in front of him, like, in the face, like, young kids. And he was just like, you know, I knew that I, could, I couldn't be outside. Like, I didn't even want to, like, be around it. But for when I say that perspective is everything, like, if to him making it is to be that number one dude that's on the block. Like, that's making it to him. Like, the dude that has the chain, the dude that has the car, dude that, like, that's his ladder because of that person being a part of the environment. So I've seen the value of a person like myself coming back and talking to these kids and letting them know that there's more out there. Like, there's more to do because... You know, I don't know if you ever had career day or anything at school, but there was never anybody that, you know, looked like me or was close enough to my age for me to relate to. So, you know what I mean? That's, and um, I always, I guess, preface when I ask stupid, sensitive questions with, I really don't mean to be offensive. And I yep. might take a little bit to get into it. And I can't see you, but I'm assuming you're black since you say it's a black-owned <laughs> business. That success is certain. <laughs> um, but me as a teacher, something I've discovered. So I grew up poor and I'm mm -hmm. middle class to upper middle class. I have a graduate degree. Like I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. I buy some, I, I day trade a little bit. I wear a tie. And the reason I wear a tie and a lot of teachers I work with do not it's because I'm like, yo, this fucking like this job is making it to me. This is successful. The fact I fucking passed a background check. I got keys to a building. You send yeah. me pay when I call off sick. You don't even check that I'm really sick. You still give me my paycheck. Like I'm like, dude, I done made it. I made it. I got a pension yeah. coming for me. I'm like, what? Yes, I'll work for you. So yeah. something I've noticed in schools, and we try to fix it, and they it seems like it's one of those like systematic injustices is mm -hmm. where are the minority examples? And in my school, yeah. maybe out of 40 to 45 teaching positions, there's one black dude. And yeah. he and he wants no parts of the kids. He yeah. is so grumpy and so angry <laughs> and so over kids. It's like that should not be the black kids role model because all they're going to do is think life sucks and like math is terrible. 
And you're like, nah, man, it doesn't have to be like that. So I'm putting all that in context to ask, like, I've never felt pressure as a white dude. I felt pressure as a dad to be like, I want to be an example of a dad. I want my daughter to know like, yo, this is what a parent does. They show up, they give time, they sacrifice, they guide you. But I've never felt pressure to be an example of what a white kid should grow up to be or to influence them. Maybe not even be, right? And I'm just wondering, like, how did you come to the point of, hey, man, I should be an example to other black kids or to other minorities that need to see or need to get a different perspective? That's a dope question. Um, And I feel like that was like a very like honest, like vulnerable, like statement that you just made. So I appreciate that. But um, I think it has a lot to do with experience. And I think for me and for most people, once I realized, like I used to think that like you had to be in like such a dope elevated position to make a change in a person's life. Mm. Like, you got to be rich to like help somebody or influence somebody. But I didn't understand the value of time until I started volunteering. And it made me realize that I never had this and the importance of this and what I'm seeing from them, because, you know, again, like I said, perspective is everything. You know, if you're meeting somebody who never met somebody, I'm like, you know, I drive a pretty nice car and things of that nature. So they're seeing it. And, you know, they're receptive to it. So even if I just changed one person's life, to me, like, I just took so much value in that. Like, that, like, changed my life, and, you know, just talking to them. But that's not to say that they couldn't be influenced or um, they couldn't admire somebody who isn't a minority. It's more so the time. The time and showing somebody that you actually, like, care. Now, is it more beneficial if it's somebody that looks like them? Absolutely. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of these people don't have people taking the time or showing the effort that something, you know, is wrong with them beyond like chalking it up to behavior. You know what I mean? Like, you know, unfortunately when somebody acts out and they happen to be a person of color, they don't ever bring up mental health at all. It's normally just a behavior issue or, you know, this person's body. You know what I mean? So, you know, I learned just from volunteering and doing things around the community that, you know, your time is valuable to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, I love what you're saying about time, man, because, um, I'm, I'm a 5'10", 170 pound white dude who never even got to try out for basketball in high school. Right. I played yeah. in an intramural league in my community college. Uh, I, I hooped around like our neighborhood just cause I enjoyed it. But now I coach basketball and I got a lot of African-American kids who um, I get to spend a lot of time with. And I don't know how valuable I am in their life, but I know that they can't relate to beach dude who's wanting to go for a jog with his shirt off in the sand. They're like, right. like, like my man Nemo ain't about that life. You know, he t- like he comes at me, he's like, well, my name rang out, well, my name rang And you're like, Nemo, you start talking like business plans with him and he's like locked in. And it's really weird, man. It's really weird when a kid gets locked in with you where you can tell they're actually listening. Mm-hmm. If you haven't had the experience of just talking to a random 14-year-old and like you have their attention one-on-one. And part of why he said that and part of why I think he, 
he had that moment was like, I've known him in sixth grade. I took him outside of the county. I've picked you up. I, I coached your brother. I dropped you off. Oh, you need a ride? I got you. Yeah, man, we can stop at Royal Farms, right? Like, dude, you're getting $5. Don't freaking break my budget, Nemo, right? I'm not here like buying you everything. It's not big bank, okay? But you spend that time with them and then you can kind of correct them. And it really made me, when you're talking about time, it's kind of solidifying what I feel like time can kind of break a lot of those like perceived racial barriers. And again, maybe it goes with, me being a school teacher being like, we're just complicating shit. It's like, yo, if you could just spend more time with kids, they'd probably be happier because they would get the guidance and attention they want well, and they are crazy. It, it, it's time and understanding. Like I said, yeah. like you, you'll find so many people who aren't of our community that are extremely opinionated. And you'll ask them like, well, who do you know besides me? Because I work in corporate America. So I've been in the mortgage industry for 12 years. Um, <laughs> like, so... I, and, and and my position is an older position. I'm an underwriter. So, like, there's no underwriter. I'm 35 years old. Like, probably the next closest underwriter was probably, like, 48 or 50. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's a guy. I'm a young man. Yeah. So, I hear a lot that I don't like to hear. And, you know, sometimes I got to check the people. But, you know, overall, what it comes down to is time and lack of understanding. Because, like I said, we're products of our own environment. So... You know, if you've never really even interacted with a person, because you think at work, you, if you know John at work, like John at work is a John at home. So, you know, there's only so much we're going to talk about, there's only so much we're going to do. So, yeah, you can say, well, well, John's my friend, but like, do you really understand John, or do you really understand some of the things that John went through, or some of the things that John may face here at work that you don't, that you might not even notice? You know what I mean? Like, it's those conversations that are never being had. And like I said, it comes back to time because really when you just sit and you speak to people from two different worlds talking to each other, you, you'll realize that, you know, you're a lot more alike than you may think in certain aspects. Yeah. And, Cause you have same ambitions and, and same goals. Most people, like, right. I mean, we've been saying it, like you just, you want security, you want happiness, you want reliability, you know, you want safety. These are very basic human, um, cravings. Yeah. And, and, and I think where the biggest disconnect, you know, as it pertains to like, like you said, the racial things and things of that nature is for the longest, um, minorities have been feeling like, you know, we've been saying this, this, and this is happening for a long time. We've been saying that these are the type of things we face. Like I said, I can go back to the workplace. Like, you know, I can tell you things like this are happening, but like, it doesn't seem like you're listening. But once you open up that dialogue and you see the understanding, then you kind of start to notice, like, man, I would have never even notice that or that's something that I never it's just the time and the understanding and I think like I said we get so caught up in this fast-paced environment in this everyday world and waking up trying to take care of my business and looking straight ahead this tunnel vision type of thing and I think that's where a lot of the disconnect happens and um yeah man I, I like I said I didn't understand the value of time until I really started volunteering a lot like um, um yeah. I remember No, I was, I was going to say something stupid. I'm just picturing kids and I'm picturing the kids I deal with being like mortgage underwriter. (laughs) And like, when you think of like mortgage underwriters, it's like basically like I I picture an accountant and it's the old white dude who's balding, a little pudgy sitting at a desk, got like stained up shirt and is just like living no sort of cool life. 
and you're oh, like, it, it's a weird, it's a weird flip to be like, nah, or it could be kind of like a cool career that could allow you the opportunity to maybe start your own brand on the side because I understand different aspects of business and how money works. And I'm just trying to picture like some of the conversations and perspectives you'd be able to bring to kids because how many people at their dinner tables are mortgage underwriters? You know, like I don't, I don't know. Actually, I don't know any mortgage under. I've never had drinks so or dinner with like, me. It's so funny that you say that because I laugh about it too. Because uh, I went to, I went to a bachelor party, um, and it was like a group. Like I knew the person really well, but I didn't know a lot of his friends. And they're like, one dude was literally an architect, another dude's a doctor, and at the time I was a loan officer. I worked several roles with in the mortgage industry. And they were so fascinated with what I did. I'm just like, dude, you're literally a fucking architect. <laughs> like they were asking me, they were asking me so many questions. Like, oh man, so what do you think about this? Tell me about the market. And I'm just like, you know, it, 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 it it's like a, it's an unknown role that's really vital to what a lot of people are doing. Because you got to think we we equate adulthood or growing up or a stage in relationship with buying a home. And so yeah. many people, what made me want to do it. You know, I was alone. Like I said, I wasn't alone. Officer. I just went back and especially underwriting for the board. But there's so much misinformation out there that are literally keeping people from home ownership, like especially minorities. Like, like you will be surprised how many people still think like, oh no, I can't get a house. I need to have twenty percent to put down. And I'm like, no, you don't. And you'd be like, oh no, but yeah, no, you don't. I'm literally telling you that this, you do not need twenty percent to put down. And then they'd be like, well. If you don't put 20% down, I heard you get PM, you have to get PMI, and I don't want PMI. I'm like, do you know what PMI is? No. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, but, I, but I know a dude who went to a bachelor party and came back with it, and he didn't enjoy it. So I damn sure don't want to catch no PMI. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm Like, they literally don't know what it is. But it's just, and I think a lot of it has to do, beyond misinformation, I think it's fear, because that's a big step, and things of that nature. Yeah. But, you know, like, literally, I think that, I think they said something like 70% of self-made millionaires were created out of real estate. Like, so when I see lack of information in lower income or medium income communities in the home buying process, I'm like, man, like, I feel like I got to be a person to kind of tell them or at least coach them, you know, because I think what made me successful as a loan officer, if somebody wasn't ready right now, most loan officers would be like, no, nah, you're not ready. Fuck out of here. Yeah. Whereas I could be like, you do this, this, and this, about two, three months, we, we could probably get you something. Then they're going to come back with, you know, their relatives. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it was literally just a lack of information that a lot of people, and I feel like it's like that with most things. Dude, it's with that, with everything. Now, um, yeah. crazy, trust my gut, conspiracy theory, Sean guy, um, okay. I, I have a rental that, a home that I rent out and um, I've had maybe seven, eight tenants. I've had to evict people. I've had some good tenants who have left on good terms. So I, I get into some rental conversations and I've gotten a lot of advice and part of the advice I've gotten, and this is what goes back to your misinformation um, point. They were like, have you got anyone who's subsidized by the government? I'm like, what do you mm -hmm. mean? He was like, you know, people get checks like Section 8 housing, but they don't have to go to Section 8 housing. They can just get like, if they got four kids, you get whatever, $400 per kid. Then if they maintain their income at this lower level, 
it's guaranteed money for you. And you're like, really? So I have a 2000 square foot home and it's out in the country in Delaware. It's 1500 a month. It's on an acre. It's 1989, like nothing special, but nothing terrible. You know, like a a decent middle-class home. And what I started thinking about was, so this person would be incentivized to continue to not earn more money because they would lose their subsidy. And the only way they can maintain their home is by having these kids and depending on the government to keep them in it. I was like, dude, that just sounds weird to me because I look at how much I charge for rent and I look at how much a mortgage is. And I'm like, dude, you could get a mortgage for less than what you pay me for rent. But the market has dictated I can get above mortgage rate for rent. And that shit blows my mind, man. And it's really, I just wonder how many people are ignorant to the fact of what is my process? What is my credit score? How much cash do I need on hand? How much would I have to save up? Okay, what expenses can I cut back on for like three months and then wait, I'm gonna save $200 a month? And then, oh, the tax breaks? What? Right. And you start putting these things together and it's like, these are not normal conversations with a lot of people that- It's like they don't want you to know almost. Dude, because like it's, yeah, it's, I, I've seen a couple of government um, in Delaware, they had a, a kiss your landlord goodbye, mm-hmm. um, like media campaign. And it was like, well, that's nice that you're finally doing that right before COVID. <laughs> and like right. nobody knew it was COVID, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's 2018. Like, shouldn't this, like, this should have just been basic, like curriculum stuff. Like that should oh, be like it- a 10th, 11th, hey, 12th grade. You're, you're getting ready to graduate. Here's how getting a house works if you want to know. And it's, right. at least to my knowledge, it's not. Oh, no, definitely not. I, I think a lot of things we were taught in school <laughs> didn't really cross over into adulthood. Um, but you're right. There are so many people who don't know their credit or understand credit in general. Um, and it, it, it's unfortunate because I feel like with most things, most people don't, seek to learn new things or to change certain things until they absolutely have to. In dating, in life in general, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, you you don't want a good guy until you dated a hundred shit guys. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It, 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 it's the same thing. Like, until your credit goes to shit, you know, a lot of people don't care about it because they don't understand the value of it. And that just comes from, again, lack of information. That's, that's usually things that you have to go and seek yourself. So, if that's something that generally wasn't taught to, you know, your parents or your community or things of that nature, then it, it's, it's literally just generational. You know what I mean? So I think what, why it was so important for me is because, you know, my grandfather was old enough. So it was before they had housing discrimination laws to where like, yeah, he got a house, but he was literally went to the bank and like, yeah, we'll give you a loan, but only if you live over here. Like, literally, like, on some redlining type shit. Like, that is you know what so I mean? fucking crazy, right. man. So, so hearing something like that, and then, you know, my father, his credit wasn't the greatest. But, again, because of that, he had certain struggles. He was like, one thing I'm going to do, his father wasn't a part of his life. Like, one thing I want to make sure, I want to make sure you never have that credit. So, you know, in his struggles, he taught me something that he wasn't taught. So, all it takes is one person to, like, you know, change that. So that's why, again, like, 
I don't want to say like that was like I feel like it's my purpose in life and things that nature, but I definitely think that need for people who like you know for because again buying a house isn't a goal for everybody, but yeah. there are certain people who really 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 want to buy a house and they might not know where to start. And it's such a fast paced crazy environment that I get it. Not everybody alone off the store or whatever has time to like teach them certain things, but there is like minimal bare minimal information I think everybody should know as it pertains to you know building and establishing credit. And, you know, working towards getting a house. So the old thought of 20% putting that down, that's so that's so old. And, like, I just can't believe how many people think that that's the necessity where, like, I, I've had down payments in the program and you put zero down. Like, there's payments. The minimal you can put down for a conventional loan is 3%. Like, FHA is 3.5%. And I feel like it's common knowledge, but you'd be surprised how it's not for a lot of people. Is there something about credit that surprises you? Cause I haven't met many people. I, I've not had a talk or I've not actually spoken to somebody who looks at credit scores to be like, Hey man, stop doing blank. Cause I, I feel like my circle right now is some is mostly financially responsible people. So I, I don't even know what would really like fuck up my credit other than running up credit cards and not paying it. Okay. It's funny you say that because when I say I'm going to say it's going to make sense, but one of the biggest one of the biggest mistakes that people make is paying off and closing credit loans. Huh. Like they essentially want you to have more debt. So even if you pay off a credit line, like once you close it, you're diminishing your credit worthiness. So like let's say you had twenty thousand dollars in credit cards and one credit card was for seven thousand, another one was for three thousand, and you close those other two. So yeah, you're thinking, well, I paid off a balance, my balance is lower, but a lot of times when that happens, your credit score goes down because it's less credit that you have to work with. You know what I mean? So huh. I just found ways of, you know, playing with it, doing balance transfers and things of that nature or increasing my credit limit because that extends your credit ratio. So let's say I have a balance of $12,000 and $20,000 in credit card. Well, if I'm on time and have good payments or whatever, more than likely, if I call and say, hey, I want to increase my credit limit to $25,000, they will do it. So that same $12,000 balance, just because my credit rate, my credit line went up to $25,000, my credit score is going to go up because now my credit utilization is lower because of the limits being high. Because so now my credit, even, even though my balance is the same, my credit went up because I had more credit. So again, it's all a percentage. Be, they want you to open. I got a ton of credit cards. A lot of people are like, well, I heard you're not supposed to have, I got a ton of credit cards. My credit is awful. <laughs> right. You know, so I thought that was the most surprising thing because, again, like, I get how that could be confusing. Why would my credit go down for me paying off a credit card? Yeah, but it kind of makes sense when you say it out loud. You're like, so my credit is better the more credit cards I have. Right. And it's like, yeah, more fucking companies, trust me. So you yeah. should trust me too, because if you don't trust me, everyone else does, what the fuck's yep. wrong with you? And like, when you just kind of make it like that, like I never thought about that till now. And I'm, I actually yep. just closed a chase card cause I'm, I don't wanna, I, I don't wanna get into too much of my personal shit, but like, I was really pissed that they wouldn't forgive some fees of mine because I had like some auto renewal and I won't take a credit card if there's a annual charge. Cause I've got like yeah. four credit cards, no annual charges. And I try to keep the balance at zero, but I look at it as if something comes up, I don't want to touch my cash. I want to use my credit 
And then worst comes to worst, I'll use my cash to pay off the credit because then I've got a buffer and I'm juggling for longer. Um, right. But the chase car, dude, I was like, yo, I'm done with y'all. I- I've spoken to you five times, but I had not considered me closing off. It might be like 15 K I'm basically yeah. telling people, other people who look into me, I can't handle $15,000 worth of responsibility. Right. That is that kind of what I'm telling people if I close out my credit card? Uh, kind of. I mean, that's the way to look at it. I, I think, like, once I started talking to people who, like, literally, like, play with their credit to, like, to their benefit, like, you know, like, I started doing a lot of, like, balance transfers and things of that nature because once your credit's good, I always say, if you're getting junk mail for credit cards in the mail, that means your credit's pretty solid. Like, they're not going to be sending you shit if your credit's bad. <laughs> so when you're getting all those, like, a lot of times you just throw them away, but every now and then read them because it'll say 0% interest on all of balance transfers for 12 months. So literally what I was doing, if I had a balance that was like five or $6,000 and I'm slowly paying it off, I get one of those in the mail, I call and be like, Oh, hey, I got this thing in the mail that said you had, I'll, I'll say a number that's not even on it. I'll say, hey, I got this thing in the mail that said 15 months of 0% interest. Oh, no, we don't have that. But like, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. That was Citibank. I'm going to call them. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. We do have that. Love and then it. they'll do it. They'll set it up. You do your balance transfer. And now you're paying strictly to the principal for 15 months at 0% interest. I met somebody who literally kept doing that. <laughs> like, just kept. So now you got to think. And then when you do a balance transfer, they pay off one credit card, so your credit score goes up, and you get a new credit line that's a higher credit limit, so your credit score goes up from that too. So you're paying off a balance and increasing your credit worthiness, and you're paying directly to the principal. And you're getting like 10,000 airline points for free or whatever the hell their reward program is to incentivize you to go to them. Right. So again, it comes back to... How would I have known that and, until I met somebody who told me that? Like, nobody yeah. knows that information. No, we don't know shit about credit. Nobody knows that. Because, again, they want you to be in debt. They want you to owe. You know what I mean? Like, that's how they get money. Yeah. Well, yeah, right? Exactly. That's how like, people... Even if, would... if you think of the process, like, I tell people, like, a lot of people, when they first get a credit card, they'll buy something and instantly pay it off. Like, why isn't my credit going up? I'm like, because you didn't let them make any money. <laughs> like you just pay, like it didn't even report to the credit companies yet. Some credit companies report every month. Some other ones report every two months. So you literally have to let them get their interest and get their little bit of money before you start getting, you know, credit points essentially. Like they didn't make any money. You got it and pay it off. It didn't even hit the system yet. They want you to be in debt. You know. Yeah, I think that's why the house the house is one of those things that seem just as good debt. Cause at least it's, it's like a stock and dude, that's something that's very interesting. That's when I knew I was an adult. Um, (laughs) when I started caring more about stocks than I did sports gambling and I'm like, well, at least if I lose, I still got the stock and who knows, maybe it'll fucking, maybe Elon will tweet about it and it'll go up like 600%. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) But like that's, that to me, what you're talking about is a very adultish planned out, it's systematic, right? Yep. And it's it's it is kind of shameful that that's not a basic like credit card literacy should mm. be a basic course in all high schools. It should be just as required as like 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 health, like right. like, like I'm I'm thinking of like sex ed class. Everybody got to have the how you make a baby talk, and yeah. 
it's like, why do we do that? Well, because we feel like that it's a public safety thing. Okay, well, fucking credit's a public safety thing, man. And you want a thriving economy. You don't want people feeling this pressure of payment. You want people feeling free and having options. Right. Well, we'll just think of how many young kids you know that have messed up credit, man. Like, they make so much money off of it. You know what I mean? Like, all of it. I feel like everything's related to the money, even when it comes to, like, medical bills and stuff like that. Oh, medical, you know for sure. Medical's terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can, can I stay on the loan officer mortgage under... Did you go to college for that? Like, why are you so Why are you so dorky? Absolutely not, man. It's so crazy, bro. <laughs> First of all, I played football since I was six years old, man. I played football, went to school in Kentucky, finished football in Youngstown State University in Ohio. Um, you know, had a couple of opportunities at the next level, had bad back injuries that kind of ended my career multiple times. I herniated this, things of that nature. So... Like, I played football my whole life. Like, the fact that I'm not, like, just now ending my football career, it was more, it was probably, my family had more of a time getting over me not playing football anymore than I did. Like, that's how much, like, of a big deal it was. But I realized that a lot of my other football buddies, like, it was football or bus for them. Mm. Like, they clearly had trouble adapting to life after, like, because it's not real life. Like, if you go to college and you play football, it's not real life. Like, I feel like college in itself is, like, its own thing. But, like, if you play sports and, like, you don't have to really know how to talk to women. Like, if you – because you, you're wearing your hoodie, like, they know you're on a football team. Like, that's, that's the icebreaker right there. You yeah, know what I mean? I'd so, see it. it I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but, like, I got this one kid, and I've never had an athlete like it. I have this one kid. Like, he's my kid. I got a kid who plays at our school and he's in seventh grade. And I've, I, I don't know what your stats are. Were you able to, when were you able to dunk a basketball? Oh man, I had one tip dunk that I'll never forget. That was in like ninth grade. It was a tip dunk. I, it counts. It counts. That's the only one I ever like got off. Other times I'm, I'm bricking it. Like it's hard to get that ball down. Dude, it <laughs> can be right. But like, typically if you're a D one athlete, you, a, a very easy, good measure of a D one athlete is like how early and how often can they dunk a basketball? It's the coordination, oh, yeah. it's the timing, it's the strength in the hand. And I'm not like a super trainer or whatever. I just happen to, at this point in my life, be around some dudes who've been to major league baseball, got drafted, mm-hmm. um, Kids who have played D1, D2, D3 basketball. Um, But anyway, I got a seventh grade kid who caught an alley-oop and you thought the fucking world was just going to end. And there's a video of him in his um, AAU team throwing down a fast break off the dribble dunk on somebody, which is rare from around here. And it wasn't like super clean. It wasn't super powerful. But the fact that you're like 6'2", the fact that you can get a ball up, the fact that you even have the cojones to try that, like... It's nuts. So anyway, all that to say, before the dude did all this, he would get off the bus smiling in every school we went to. It's like, Oz, man, Oz, focus. Stop. Like, 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 we'd tell his brother, like, keep him away from him. It was a distraction yeah. like crazy. Like the little groupie effect, the, mm-hmm. the fly girl effect is beyond real. And I see it in seventh grade where these dudes are just, it, they don't even have to, Dude scored, Nothing. he averaged a point, 1.5 points a game. Everybody thought he was the man. I'm like, yeah, he averages less than a bucket a game. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm the coach. I keep the stats. Like, I know what he averages. It didn't matter. It did not yeah. matter. They flocked to him. Now, I couldn't imagine that in college. 
right? As oh. the stage grows and as, yeah. I don't know, just your overall physique grows and yeah. the legend of you grows. But man, that is a very, very, very real thing. That's a great point you bring up about not knowing how to talk to women because they just come to you. It's not real life. It's literally, you know, you're on campus. You have, you know, your team apparel on. Like, they quote unquote already know you. So, you know, I realized afterwards, now you're just imagine being four years removed from school. Like, you're done with sports, whatever. You know, I'm going out to the bar with some of my friends, and, you know, their starting line is still like, yeah, you know, I played football at such and such. Like, like, oh, okay, cool. Like, well, what do you do now? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, so, you know, like. I volunteer. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. special teams coordinator. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know. Oh, really? How long ago was that? That was like four years ago. Videotape editor. I'm a scout, advanced scout. <laughs> yeah, I'm a GM, but you really just play Madden 2020. I'm a fantasy years. league. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, for me, it was a huge importance in not wanting, you know, football or athletics to define me. Like, you know, so when I, when I came, like, when I came to the conclusion that I was done, like, I realized that because I played for so long, I never really started. I had no career. I had no work history. I went to school for marketing. Like, and uh, I was just like, man, like, all right. Like, okay, let's, let's, let's get adjusted. You know, let's figure out what we want to do. So um, it's funny, like, you know, being a big dude, like, I was a decent tackle. Like, I, was, I like hitting people. Like, not no more. Don't, don't call nobody. But, like, I was a decent tackle, so. Um, you know, I was working a lot of warehouse jobs when I first got out of school, and then I had a buddy who called this when I worked at Chase. Like, feel free to just Chase. I don't work there. Free to this. Um, <laughs> uh, he called me, and he was just like, hey, man, we got this office job, and, you know, it's pretty easy, and I think I decided to pay like twelve fifty an hour. He's like, but it's unlimited overtime, and they feed us. And as soon as he said air conditioning, I didn't even hear anything. I'm like, air conditioning? I've been working in these warehouses, sweating my Damn. ass off. I so I went to there, and then from there, it, it kind of just, I kind of just worked my way up, and, you know, through different relationships being built, and, you know, certain positions even market needs. Like, you know, in 2008, when the market was crazy, there was a, a harp loan for they needed, um, they needed underwriters so bad, they created a junior underwriter position. That was like a second shift type of deal, and I was shit, I'll do it. And, you know, now it's point to where I'm such a specialty type of underwriter, I could do a type of underwriting that you know I can kind of come in and, and you know demand certain things because of that so it was kind of like a gift and a curse you know but yeah everybody asked me like oh what did you have to major or I mean you just kind of got to work your way up you know or yeah people you know. dude I got my job so I, I say I'm a teacher but technically I'm a reading specialist which is whatever I guess I specialize in reading but I didn't have that degree I just right. went I was at work and I saw the opening and I just went, and I was like, yeah, I think I could do that. Let me give it a shot. And then because they kind of knew me, they were like, Hey, we'll figure out, we want you in the position. So we'll figure out whatever the logistics are of getting you accredited and we'll get that done. And right. it's another risk taking thing that I wonder how many people much like the, Oh, you got to have 20% down. Oh, you don't want PMI. It's like, well, have you ever said why have you ever gone? Right. Do I like, I wonder how many people don't get opportunities because they're just, they limit themselves versus mm. risk the failure of, no, nah, man, I want that. Right. Well, I, I think, I think most positions within corporate America, like 
you can relate almost any customer service position to almost any other role that's not customer service because you can just, you know how they ask the question like, oh, tell us about a time where you use problem-solving skills, you know, the general interview question type of thing. Like, I feel like, you know, a lot of skills are transferable. Um, you know, I've always been of the belief if I can get an interview, if I can sit across from somebody, like, I'm more than likely going to, you know, leave a good impression and possibly yeah. get that job. Um, you know, so... I think that I think as as we get older and as time you know as time go on, we realize that don't get me wrong, school is important and certain degrees and certain cases are important, but a lot of times that work experience trumps all of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it's a, a good mixture of both. And not only that, a lot of a lot of jobs you can get without having a four year degree now. You know what I mean? Like you could if you really want to do something, or you really want to make career change, like you could take a couple online courses or two-year committee, you know, something, certification, and, you know, get on that way. But, yeah, like, when everybody asks, like, how can they kind of get on and get in a role like mine, like, no, they're probably not going to take an underwriter off the street that's never been an underwriter. But I will tell them a path that can get them there pretty fast. Like, hey, you should probably start at a title company because you'll have your hand in so many different aspects of the mortgage process that they'll be like, okay, well, no, you're not a processor, but you work with titles and, you know, deeds like that before so we'll teach you everything else it sounds like you kind of you need to get an idea of the jargon yeah and once you know the jargon and basically like how to find shit it's like oh you're the dude that can find these things and then you add your own value to the corporation and then now it's on you now it's on your metrics your yeah your, your hustle your metrics right absolutely right and i felt like that also made me more of a um that made me more of a well-rounded individual within the within the um, within the role because I worked all those different roles. So it's like I know what to look for, and and the appraisal because I was an appraisal underwriter. You know what I mean? Like so, I know to tell the potential buyer what to have so that we don't reach a snag because you know you might need this, this, and this. Or like like for example, like because I've been an underwriter. Now that I'm a loan officer and once I pull your credit and I see a bunch of name variations, I'm going to be like, hey, sign this letter of explanation that discuss all these name variations that are on your credit report because this can something that potentially could hold up the process down the line. You know what I mean? Like, so it all just kind of, you know, helps in the process, you know, having those different roles. Yeah, dude, you sound like a lawyer. <laughs> No, so I mean, like, right, like there's some judge out there that you're basically making the case to believe that someone is worthy of a loan, and you're like, dude, I've studied the law. I know exactly what the judge is looking for. Line all this up. Well, I mean, I mean, that's kind of what an underwriter is. Like, they're the person that they're the person that says yes or no, essentially. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we want to say yes more than no, but we're we're looking for the red flags and we're addressing them all. So. You know, it's a it's a it's a pretty important position. Now I'm just like a collateral underwriter because so when the market tanked years ago, I don't know if you ever seen the movie The Big Short. Who was it? Um, yeah. Oh, dude. Every, yeah. Um, everybody was in. So when you said yeah. the underwriter, I immediately, and I didn't want to say this, but I immediately, um, there were two, and they were douchebags, man, at the bar, buying mm-hmm. drinks, and the investigators, um, who I guess worked for the stock company went down there and we're getting drinks with them. It's like, so you're not even checking. And then they find out one of them's a stripper and she's got five homes. 
And then yeah. at the end of the movie, the dudes are basically like going back to being interns and they were biggest deal. So anyway, when you had said mortgage underwriter, I immediately thought of those two like stereotypical bros. <laughs> yeah, like it, then back then it was, they call it the wild, wild west. They had a thing, it was, they called them ninja loans. And that's basically because you didn't really need anything to qualify. You literally could just be like, hey, my name's Sean. I make 55000 a year. And if your credit was cool, they'd be like, all right. Like, like there was no there was no person in between the loan officer and the appraiser, so they could call up the appraiser and be like, "Hey, for this deal to work, I need this to appraise for this." They're like, "All right, cool." Like it was crazy times, like, and that's why a lot of them were so successful because there was no checks and balances. So when the industry tanked, what they were finding that these houses that were five hundred thousand dollars were actually worth like two hundred thousand dollars. You know what I mean? So. um and so when that happens, a lot of banks have to call, have what they call buybacks. Like they have to eat that because like uh, the banks that fund them will be like, well, this house was never really worth it. You didn't do your due diligence. That has to go on your books. So Chase, originally where I got my collateral underwriter role, they created a position to actually create the appraiser, make sure he's not on a weird shit. Like I got to make sure he's going to make crazy adjustments to make a deal work or whatever. So they were one of the first big companies to create that role. So I was originally forced into it, but you know now I've been working it on and off for like six or seven years. So now I'm like considered an expert at it. So you know now like I can look at an appraisal for five or ten minutes and tell you it's supposed to hit or not. Dude, that and just sounds. In my property. Yeah, I mean, like that just sounds like such a basic role, and maybe it's because I was I don't know listening when you paid when you were talking about it. maybe it's because I've seen the Big Short. But it's amazing that that wasn't, if, it wasn't if you, like if you're going to take on that sort of liability on that type of scale, why yeah. would you not have a department that's going to cost a fraction of the liability? Like, I mean, if right. you save them 50 grand on each house, right, you pay for your salary and blank amount of homes. Like, it doesn't seem like a complicated formula. I can't believe they didn't have something it didn't exist anywhere. Like it was, it was literally the wild, wild west. Like nothing was worth what they were saying it was. So, you know, like now I, I see it on a lesser scale now. Like, you know, right now it's a seller's market. Everybody's paying over asking, like buy a lot. Like unfortunately, like it's not a great time to buy a home. I mean, there's still people doing it. There's a need, but you know, the home that you could have bought four years ago, you're going to pay a lot more for it now. So yeah. it's really a seller's market. But you'll see like, then try to just appraise the property for what it's being sold for. And it's not always worth that. So, you know, like I said, I've been doing it long enough that my eyes are trained to look, you know, a certain place and I can kind of tell, you know, something's out of pocket. Or not, you know. Do you enjoy it? Like, it's just like office job from fucking lifetime of football playing, man. And especially playing like University of Kentucky's like, if you got recruited there and went there, man, like you had to, I'm assuming you had to take football very seriously hey, to get to that kind of one level. Of my, one of my, my, my best moments being from Columbus, Ohio, I actually got to play against Ohio state in 2006 or 2007, one of those years. Um, and that was an excellent moment. Like I had a pretty solid game. I got a fumble recovery and it was on TV. And this one, my space was popping. Oh, my, my space wall was so lit. <laughs> oh my God, I'm sitting on TV. Oh, you couldn't tell me nothing. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it was a difficult change just because, you know, it was such a part of my life. I mean, like looking back, I kind of, I kind of, 
was mad that I was thrown into it so early, but I was a huge kid, man. Like, when I was six years old, if I showed you a picture of me at six years old, you would think I was 12. Like, I was, I was, I was, I was four foot 11 and I weighed 103 pounds, like, at six years old. Like, six. <laughs> at six years old. Yeah, so I've been playing football since I was six. And I think, you know, what people don't realize, they always think, like, well, you know, college kids, you know, they got it easy, whatever, whatever. Like, it becomes more like a job, you know what I mean? Because we're still students. We still have to go to class. We still got to go to study table. We still got to get treatment. We got to fit all this stuff in. I like just playing in games. Like, I love games. Like, there's nothing better playing under the lights, things of that nature, maybe playing a game on TV. But, you know, after a while, it it, it wasn't as fun anymore. Um, you know, you kind of – sometimes people get burnt out. Not everybody, but I know I was. So, I think – it took me. I think it hurt. It, was, it took me a little while to get over it more so because I didn't end on my own terms. Because, like I said, I had injuries, a bad mm-hmm. back injury, a couple different times. But that also, there's things that I probably would have did different with that as well too. But overall, you know, I was just ready to start my career as an adult. You know what I mean? Like, all right, well, I'm not going to play football. I'm not going to play in the NFL. I don't want to be one of those people that are chasing it forever. Like, I'm not going to go try to play. In, you know. AFL or, you know, oh, I'm not going to try to go all that. No disrespect no to the people that do that, but, you know, the sooner I start my career, like I said, I've never had a real job. So, you know, I was just looking forward to it. And not only that, in college, I took a marketing class that I really gravitated towards. I had a teacher, um, um, Michael Ponce, I can't pronounce his last name, but... I don't want to butcher it. I can't remember, but I remember he was just like so cool. And um, I remember we had this project where we had to take a product from overseas and make a marketing campaign for the United States. And like, I really like took it and ran with it. Like we took this, we made a fake commercial and everything. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a marketer. You know, didn't realize that, you know, starting off, you're not really going to make any money doing that shit. <laughs> like, that's the same thing like, when CSI was popular, you had a person from rural Pennsylvania wanting to, you know, be a criminal justice major, thinking they're going to be CS, but, like, that job doesn't exist in your market back home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was something <laughs> like that for me. Like, I'm like, where's this, this this marketing job that I picture of me taking a suitcase to work every day or whatever, you know? It wasn't quite realistic, but I think that was the first time I really started to think of, okay, what do I want my career to be if it's not going to be football? Um, and, you know, once the wheels got you know, started turning with that, I, I just kind of went on this quest to kind of start to figure that out. Yeah, dude, it's it's something I struggle with. And I fucked up um, this one kid, Wu, um, when he was in eighth grade. He had dreams to go into Indiana and play in basketball. And who the fuck am I to be like, dude, you're not going to make it. But like, I was dumb enough at the time to be like, yeah, but what's your backup? And he was like, I don't need no backup. And he was like, what, you don't believe in me? And what you said right there is like made me think about how often we try to crush kids dreams and then it doesn't allow them the freedom to back out when they realize because they've spent so much time justifying. What do you mean? I can't. Right. And I I just wonder, like, it just, it's a very early mature decision on your part. And I'm wondering, cause I haven't been in a ton of those circles, like the, elite athlete circle how common is it like are those like locker room conversations after practice conversations at the college level where you all start thinking about next steps or is there a little bit of delusion where people overrate themselves and then get 
caught up with less options in life? I think it's, I think it's situational, really. Um, you know, some people use that doubt as motivation. Uh, I, I felt like I, I was one of those people for the longest. But in retrospect, it also was a lot of people that just expected me to do certain things. You know what I mean? And I came to the conclusion that, like, am I doing this for me? Or is this more so just what I'm expected to do? Mm-hmm. Or what people just, like, think I'm supposed to do? Um, because like I said, for me, it got to the point to where it wasn't as fun anymore. You know what I mean? And I think, I think once you get to college, I think that's kind of where like things just kind of start to weed out themselves. You know what I mean? Cause now you're looking at it more from a business perspective. You know, it's a lot more damaging on your body and things of that nature. And you got to think you're now away from home. So you're experiencing life differently. You're, you're around girls, you're around different groups of people. And, you know, so then you might get there and you might just be like, you know what, I kind of want to do this career path or I might, you know, I might meet somebody and I might just want to, you know what I mean? So I think in college there's more things to make the people that really want to try to take it to the next level. Like you either hone in or you kind of start to gravitate towards, you know, what's next. Like you, I think most people have a realistic idea if that's even an option for the most part. Yeah, because the market almost dictates it. Or maybe it's like not only the market as far as your performance, but like the grind work aspect of it. Yeah. Where you're like, I did not realize it would be this much work to try to get the success. Yeah, because it's, it, it's a lot. Like, I mean, I mean, you have some people that are there. You can tell they're clearly just, they're just coasting. You know what I mean? Like you got, you know, your free education, they're getting it. Like they don't do anything beyond the normal script of what you have to do to be a college athlete. And most of the people, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some people with God given God given abilities who, who don't got to, they don't have to do extra. Don't got to work out. They just got it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, That's the one what everybody mean? loves but, and hates. When you got to go yeah. against them, you're like, why is this so fucking easy for you? Man, I, I know a couple, man. I had a buddy that I went to high school with. He didn't work out the whole summer. And then he went to Michigan state football camp, ran like a four, six, 40, didn't run all summer. Just, and we just like, you know, I'm just like, God given, you know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, overall, like, you know, I think if that's on your radar, not only that, I feel like most coaches and people will kind of take you under their wing anyway and let you know, like, hey, this is something I think, you know, you might be able to do, like, what you want to do. And then, you, kinda, you know, the grind kind of intensifies at that point. What? Was it the injuries that made it less fun for you? Or was like, I've always heard stories about like, hey, college athletes always have to wake up at 6 a.m., get some sort of wow. workout in, grades always yeah. getting checked, restrictions on freedoms. And you had brought up yeah. the, I was an athlete, so when I get in a little bit of trouble, they got to make an example of me. So I don't know like if it was one thing or a collection of things that kind of sapped the um, joy. I think it was, a, it definitely was a collection of things. Um, like I said, the injury was a big thing because it was a back injury and it happened more than one time. Um, herniated disc, um, completely drained. The last time it was probably the worst time. And, you know, I didn't want to do anything like with surgery or anything because of, at the time, like now there's way more less evasive surgeries that have a quicker recovery time and things of that nature. But back then it's like, you know, you're guaranteed a six to eight months out, you know, type of deal. And, you know, that wasn't something that I wanted because I felt like that time loss would be something that would be hard to recover from. So As far you know, as lot, being able to, uh, like, keep your spot playing or just yeah, experiencing life? That, 
yeah, that and then like you know when, when you're taking six to eight months to recover from an injury, you know you're not necessarily practicing or protect or uh, practicing or um, perfecting your craft. You're more so just trying to get healthy. So you get you think about six to eight months to get healthy, and then it's like working on those instincts that you know made you stand apart at your position. You know whether it be you know moving good from left to right or you know throwing the ball and having time with your receivers, whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, whenever you have a serious injury, a lot of times that's why they say, like, when somebody tears an ACL or something like that, it's mental. Because you tear your ACL, it's not always because you got hit really hard. Sometimes you just make a jump cut to the left. So now, when you're back healthy, you got to make a jump cut to the left, you might second guess it. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, it's partially mental and physical. So part of the injury or – um not wanting to do surgery. It wasn't like a long-term effect. Like, and I, I don't remember when I would have done it, but mm-hmm. like, dude, I hear back and I hear surgery and I immediately mm-hmm. think every other fucking option. Don't cut up my back, man. I'm not trying to be stiff. I'm not trying yeah. to like be uncomfortable when I sit and lay. And that's all I think about with back. But I think about my older years, right? I think right. about like, dude, I'm not trying to have issues. I remember Derek Rose came out and actually caught a little bit of shit about like, dude, I want to like play with my son. I want to walk when he graduates right. and talking about him pushing his physical limits. And he's like, I think the essence was like, maybe I'm okay with being less explosive. If it means down the road, I'm more physically able to enjoy life. So I'm yeah. curious when you're making that decision, um, the things you were talking about seemed very like in the now or the short, short term now. And yeah. I wonder how much you considered long-term effects of the surgery or were you just that focused on the now as an athlete being like, this is what you, I do. You, you, I get you, on the field. Like Superman, like you're not really thinking of the future or nothing. You you just knew that that time that you would have had to been away was something that you didn't want. So if you gave me an option to where I could just do physical therapy and strength on my core, then we're going to do that and see how far it takes me. You know? um, and like I said, a lot of times, like back in the day, like, like you said, like a lot of those back procedures, you, you know, you're talking like either plates or, you know, fusing together, you know, that, that stuff long-term, ugh, you know what I mean? But again, you don't have that long-term um, way of doing things when you're young. You're definitely more so in the moment type of thing. But I'm also of the belief that everything happens for a reason and I don't regret, you know, anything as it pertains to it. Um, you know, it doesn't, my back doesn't bother me as much anymore, you know, you know, sometimes I have flashbacks and thinking I'm still, you know, a person that can bench the world and I got to humble myself. <laughs> but overall, it could be a lot worse. Like, I know people, you know, that play that could barely walk and things of that nature. But, yeah. um, you know, Dude. I definitely, you know, if I was a little bit a little bit younger, like I said, a lot, a lot of things now, there's a lot better ways to deal with injuries and, you know, medical advances that happen just in a short period of time, not right. too long after I, you know, stop playing. Yeah, right. Well, those advances happen because people probably in a similar situation like you had a poor experience and they got studied and people were like, we can't have it. We can't keep having these people have poor experiences. So we got to figure out what's wrong. And let me tell you, a herniated disc, like a bad herniated disc, man, that shit is so painful, dude. (laughs) And the thing is, like, so, you know, when it's herniated, like, so it'll, if it pinches a nerve, so I had a herniated disc, pinch nerve, L4-5. So the pinched nerve can cause random spasm. So now mind you, you're looking at me and you're like, John's not hurt. Like I'm looking at you. What are you talking about? We just walked around all day or whatever. 
But then the spasm comes because of me walking around all day. So now it's inflamed and it's hitting my nerve and it's sending a shock all the way down my leg. And I could be sitting on a couch. You don't realize how much of your lower back you use when you're sitting on the couch. You try to get up. And you're like, wait, I got to push off my legs to my lower. So now I'm stuck on a couch for an hour. I literally can't move. I literally can't move. So it's like when you tell somebody that, I'll get up, stop playing. I'm like, no, bro, I really can't move. Come on, Johnson. I'm just going to have to sit here until the swelling goes down. Like, it's, it was a trip, man. Yeah, man. And it's... It's very hard for me to understand and probably most people because again, like you were clearly an exceptional athlete. And if yeah. you're an exceptional athlete to be like, I can't get up off a couch. <laughs> like yeah. when, when you put yeah. those two things together, you're like, no, but like yeah. that, that would be like the height of vulnerability. If your identity uh -huh. is all about being that tough dude. Like when you were talking about like going to the weight room and like, wanting to bench, it cracks me up at this stage. Dude, you know, I, I love jogging. You know, I like jogging because if I start, something starts to hurt, I just stop, I walk, I listen to music, <laughs> right? Like I've got zero gotta break a six minute mile in me. I'm like, yeah, I ran okay. a 7.30, it was a good day, when was in my back. But I know a lot of dudes that can't let go of that squat record. Like if they're not oh, adding man. 10 pounds every whatever, two, three months, they feel like yeah. they're they're punks. And I'm like, dude, you're 45, man. Let it go. Ego lifting. Ego lifting. I mean, you yeah. got to think, some people, that was, you know, a high point in their life. But you're right. We get older. Like, I, I say I'm washed all the time. Like, bro, I'm washed. Like, I'm not trying to be out here. Like, <laughs> and like I'm not trying to be out here doing what I used to do, man. I'm just trying to maintain, live a semi-healthy lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah, it, it's tough. Like, it really is tough for a lot of people to let it go. Because I, I, I think a lot of, a lot of, what a lot of people don't realize when you're talking about collegiate athletes, like, so for example, when I first transferred to Youngstown State, they were like, well, you know, in order for you to play, we got transfers coming, you're going to have to move the nose. So nose tackle, I mean, you, you're familiar with football, nose tackle, like, he's a bigger defensive line. So I had to gain weight, so I'm eating like five times a day, but I'm also working out like almost twice a day. You know what I'm saying? Like, the eating is scheduled around working out and stuff like that. Now, imagine that same person after football. You've been for three or four years, eating like five times a day and working out all the time, well, that's not a normal person's life. So yeah. now you have to adjust. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're either going to go one way or the other. You're going to get really big or you're going to adjust your lifestyle to not eat five times a day because you're not going to work out twice a day. Like, not when you're working and have a full-time job and things of that nature because it's not a part of your schedule. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that just comes back to what I was saying about adapting to real life and being realistic in, in your goals and Acknowledging that your goals changed over time, like nothing that I do in the weight room is really like number based. Like, I'm not going in there trying to best the PR or nothing like that for me personally. But everybody's journey is different. You have to acknowledge that. I think a lot of times, men as we get older, testosterone gets a little lower. You have kids and things of that nature. We kind of it's kind of hard to get over that. It's like man, I used to bench press 450 pounds. Now I can barely do 225. You know what I mean? Like it's it's tough for a lot of people. It, yeah, man, but it seems like you've gotten to the point where you're able to not get your identity from, like, what's a good way to put it? Like, not get your identity from one single performance or one single, like, like, like role. Multifaceted. Expectation, like, I don't, right? Like, like, it would be easy. 
it would be easy to label somebody as an athlete and then within that create another label and like just like an umbrella within there, even like a post athlete, like, you know, like the confidence that might come from it or, you know, different things that you get from being an athlete. Certain people get leadership skills from being an athletic and things of that nature. But again, like I learned that, you know, in order to be a chameleon and move around in, in different circles and environments, you got to kind of be a sponge. Like I never felt like, I was above learning from people. And I, I honestly feel like, especially if you want to make a drastic change in life, you can't do that without trying to engage with somebody who's not already there or living it. You know what I mean? Like, how can I say I want to be a, I don't know, a, a day trader, like you said, when I don't know any. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I gotta, gotta, I, I, I should want to, you know, try to hang around one or try to pick one brain or, or, or try to just be around certain mixers or events that has those type of people. That's something that I truly want to do, a change that I want to make. So, you know, I'm always just trying to enhance my palate and learn different things. And like, like, like I said earlier, you know, as life changes and certain things become more important to you or your mind starts to wonder and curious about different things or, or you move. Like I said, I moved from Ohio down to Florida. So I'm already meeting different people, different types of people, you know. So, you know, you just kind of pull from different things and then you create your build-a-bear version of yourself. You just kind of, you know, get your comfort within that. You know what I mean? Oh, what a really, really cool analogy. <laughs> build-a-bear version. <laughs> and I say that because my daughter just went um to Build-a-Bear. She fucking coaxed her uncle into taking her. I'm like, dude, you just dropped $40 on something that I could win at a carnival for two bucks. Great job. <laughs> It's a scam, man, Dude, but they get what, you. And they what get you. a great freaking hustle. Like, yeah, this limited edition t-shirt's only $25. <gasps> That's yeah. it? And you're like, God. Yeah. Um, going on a bear. Yeah, yeah they'll, never, <laughs> they'll never be a sponsor of this podcast because I won't let them. Um, I'm curious, talking about like experience, going from, and I don't know enough about football to know how big of a difference it is going from like Kentucky to Youngstown State. But I'm curious about like when the decision to move or leave came up, what was that decision like? Is the, did you see it as like a step down? Was it a playing opportunity step up? Um, I'm just curious. Cause I wonder if that like added to your perspective about fitting in, being open, looking for these examples, because that's an asset and a concept I hope my daughter has, which is whatever you're at, you can learn something from somebody. Yeah, um, well, for that particular situation, it was I had a familiarity with that program because um, their coaches recruited me pretty early in my high school career. His name is Coach Kolakowski. Um, and, you know, I kind of wanted to be closer to home. And Youngstown State was still Division One, but they're Division One AA. So, you know, I knew that I still would have an opportunity to play big-time games. Like I said, the, the one year I had to sit out, they played Michigan State. We played Ohio State. Um, you know, and years ago, Youngstown State was like the Division One AA school. I mean, they had Coach Jim Tressel, who was Ohio State's coach, and now he's the president of Youngstown oh. State. Oh, is it? What was the what was the school Carson Wentz went to, and then um, uh, where did Carson? Was Del- I think he went to like. Oh no, he went to North Dakota State. North, North Dakota, Dakota State. State. Yeah, no, Flacco went to Delaware. Man, that's my school. I'm I'm in Delaware right now. Um, yeah. So is Youngstown State? Would that be similar to the North Dakota State that's having these run on yeah. quarterbacks? 
Yep, they actually they actually um were in the same conference when I was there, North Dakota State and Youngstown. Oh no shit! Okay. They're dominating in one double A right now. I don't see how they haven't moved up yet. Them boys, them country boys, strong. <laughs> 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 but but yeah, so you know I knew okay. it was still fairly competitive, but that that in itself is a whole other conversation. Like you know, as kids, we're always like, well, I want to go D one, I want to go, I want to do this, that, that. And it's like understanding that it's still. It's still an accomplishment, it's still an honor to play Division Two or Division Three or NAIA, you know, because again, the the experience of it, uh, the discipline that you learn from it, things of that nature, and again, it's one of those things where if everybody can do it, they would do it. It's still, you know, something that could be challenging for you. Now, I'm not saying that it's not an accomplishment to play Division One, but it's to the point to where you should you should want to play for North Dakota State instead of playing for like some of these schools in the Sun Belt, like, I don't know, New Mexico State or something. Like, wow, okay, you're D1, but, like, what does that really mean? Like, you're not playing any quality opponents. You're not playing on TV ever, but you just want to do that because you want to play D1. Like, you kind of got to just, you know, go with your gut and, you know, take into consideration, you know, how you feel on the campus, how the campus makes you what does the school have to offer you? Um, but I think we get so caught up on that, that title of, you know, what level we're playing. Label. That ego. Same thing you're talking yeah. about with the weight room, man. Like, can't can't let that ego go. Definitely, because, you know, it sounds much better. Yeah, you know, I play D1. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it sounds better, but, you know, like, nah, you, you just do what's best for you. I think, like I said, period, it's an accomplishment. And if any, you know, I don't downplay anybody that says they play this is free or things of that nature. Like, cool, that's dope. You understand the grind. Like, I got respect for you, you know? Yeah, I just, I... I think of myself as a college student and I worked, I worked two jobs. So I paid off my college. Um, and that was a little bit of a grind on itself, but I could kind of, I didn't really have to perform at my jobs. I just kind of had to show up. I don't even know how often I had to be like sober in order to keep and maintain my job. You know, like I think like part of my waiting days was like, I'd go to work so that I could drink. <laughs> and it was yeah. like, it was enjoyable work. I never, like if I'm feeling sick, I call out, like I'm not in pain from it. So the fact that you're making that kind of discipline at that young of an age and that kind of commitment is, yeah. I mean, it really, it, it it's something that's not normal. It's, and, and like I said, I don't think it's talked about enough because you just hear about, well, where do you come about? You got a free education, blah, 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 blah. But like I said, man, you got to, you know, like we had what we called, uh, well, you had check-ins. So, like, if you had a class before 10 a.m., there would be a, a, a coach standing somewhere in the middle of campus, and you had to, like, at least show that you were awake. So even if you were going to skip class, you had to wake up, walk all the way to the middle of campus, and be like, hey, I'm up. And they check your name off of the list. And some people went right back to their apartment or dorm room and skipped class, but I'm just saying, like, that accountability and doing that. And then if you have blocks in your schedule where there was like an hour or two open, they're going to fill that up with a study table unless you have like a 3.5 GPA or higher. So you're going to have to go there and you're going to have to study for an hour, you know, with all the rest of the team. Or they'll replace it with film and be like, all right, well, we're going to fill up this block with film. So, you know, you're getting the college experience, but not necessarily the same college experience. So it's still added layers that people don't consider when they, you know, downplay like, oh, well, you're just, you're just, at school playing football. Like, no, it's a lot more than that. And like I said, the ones that are really trying to do something, you know, they're working out extra, they're getting extra workouts in, they're doing all types of stuff. 
Yeah, it sounds most people want to go to college, and I shouldn't say most people, but I enjoy um, blanket stereotypes. Most people want to go to college to like have freedom. And it sounds right. like if you go to college and you're an athlete that's on scholarship, you're, yep. I mean, it's almost worse than having a parent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, there's, there's definitely benefits of it. You yeah. Know, besides like prestige of, you know, being the college yeah, athlete. Social that credit, like, for sure. The most fun time, like I said, I love game. Game day, shoot, after the game. If we're winning, we're already talking about what, where we're partying after. Um, right. Spring ball is a little less, um, a little less strenuous because you don't have practices every day to start off with. Like, you just have, like, morning workouts, and then you might have your day open. You might just have, like, to work out one time or something like that. But, but yeah, during the season, you know, it, it's pretty busy. Yeah. And it, if this is um, sensitive, feel free to slap me the next time you're in Delaware. Um, just gently, please. <laughs> but Delaware. Was yeah, Delaware. Um, <laughs> leaving Kentucky, how did you – deal with that was that a easy choice for you was it a no choice for you it was kind of forced upon you was it a difficult you got to figure out some stuff no nah, it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily hard for me just because again like with my back injury it happened once in high school once in college right before I played against Ohio State and then once when I was making a run to the next level um and so basically to make my my situation um how it happened was I had got hurt anyway and I kind of needed to like, I was kind of like on a prove it, prove myself type of thing. Mm. And, you know, I wanted to prove to them that I could still play and things of that nature. And the thing about with college, when a, when a coach leaves and a new coaching staff comes in, they usually come in with their guys, whoever they've been recruiting, what they want to do, a whole different um, game plan or landscape. So my position coach, he actually was leaving the school. So when he left and I kind of see how things were and I kind of got a little bit of homesick, I kind of reached out to the coach as a recruit at Youngstown. I was like, hey, you guys still looking for linemen, whatever. He was like, yeah, you can come. So it kind of was an easy decision for me. Again, like sometimes when you get into a situation, the fit's not necessarily, you know, how you thought it might be. You know what I mean? You might not like campus. Um, you might not get along with the people on the team or the the coaching staff, because look, their job is to make it sound as sweet as possible when they come and recruit you when they're sitting across from you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, you know, so, you know, once you're there and things happen and things change, you know, I'm like I said, I don't regret anything. Like I had good years, you know, being in, in Dunstown and, um, you know, I got, you know, good playing time and things of that nature. So, you know, I'm not bad. It was, you know, especially, you know, there, like that's a basketball school. Kentucky, oh, I mean, yeah, right. Like, it was, yeah. Calipari there in oh, would you say oh six? You were there? No, I think it was still was um, Patino. Yeah, or because I, I, I'll I never Tubby forget. Smith I went to a campus there. party and uh, Rayzon Rondo and Randolph Morris was there, oh. and Rayzon Rondo had the biggest hands I've ever seen in real life. This dude's hands looked like ten of my hands. Like, just, yeah. and he's not tall. Like, he's only like six two or something. Yeah. But this dude's hands were huge. Hey, by by the way, I just want to say fuck you for saying someone six two isn't tall. Speaking for all the five ten I mean, people out two. there, okay? I'm two, so. dude five ten. I'm like y'all would give anything to be six two. Matter of <laughs> fact, I buy lifts to look six foot. Oh, 
Um, five ten is not far off from six two though. Yeah, yeah. No, dude, no. I mean you're right. Like it dude, for athletes, six two is at the smaller end of um well, yeah, of height. definitely. Dude. See, well, football 6'2 is not too small, but, like, basketball, yeah. like, yeah, it's not Dude, everybody calls Curry small. Like, Curry's bigger than Rondo. 6'3", yeah, like, yeah. Curry's small by basketball standards, but, exactly. nah, he's not a, he's, he'll dude. be the tallest person in most rooms. Yeah, no, dude, easily, easily. Yeah, so, um, there's a basketball tournament that's, like, a high school showcase that happens down here. LeBron James actually played in it when he was, um, a junior in Ohio. Um, so, and uh, it, it's been referenced. It's called slam dunk to the beach in Lewis, Delaware. So college coaches come because part of what you got to do is like show up and Roy Williams has been here. Calipari has been here to little Lewis, Delaware. Well, Patrick Ewing came and I was a huge New York Knicks fan because of John Starks growing up, Derek Harper, Charles Smith, Charles Oakley, like those dudes. I don't know what it was about them. I just, maybe it was the orange. I love they the were uniform. Badasses, man. That's why. Dude, yeah. I mean, Oak, they, Oak was a badass, man. Dude, they were all such badasses. Yeah. So, um, Patrick Ewing sitting on the baseline. And what I do is I run the clock. So I'm like on the middleman. I get 10 minutes in between games. I get in for free. And um, you just get to hear different shit when you're running the clock because you're right at center court. Well, I get up and I walk over to Patrick Ewing. And I'm like, I don't care what the fuck happens. Like, I got to at least shake his hand. So I reach my hand out. I don't even know what to say. I'm like, sir, thank you for supporting the event. And he grabs my hand and it made me feel like a six month old dude. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But like that, it, it's something where, un, like you could talk about Rajon Rondo's hand being big, but I'm never yeah. around people that are big like that. You know what I'm saying? It was the first time seven footer, like I grab your hand and I'm like, you could literally crush my entire, like you, you'd crush every single bone in my hand if you wanted to. That's how large you are. And it's, yeah. it's weird, man. It's, I don't know. I don't know why I thought of that. I guess that's my only like big hand story, but it's, <laughs> I mean, how many people have big hands? <laughs> that's it, right. Like it's one of those things where like you meet a motherfucker with big hands and you're like, yo, well, yeah, I told you, I never forget it. Like, I'm at a fucking campus party, and I remember how big Razor and Rondo's yeah. hands are. Like, it's, 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 it's some life. I just remember looking down, and he was holding a little red solo Dixie cup. I'm like, holy shit, his hands are huge. Yeah, right? Like, is that a two-ounce cup? What are you Bro, doing? it looks crazy. I'm like, man, he's not tall enough to have hands like this. is nuts. Like, but you know what's crazy? Now I just said that. I just remember how our whole interaction even started. Now it makes sense because you're a Knicks fan. I commented under the uh, with the podcast with Matt. Uh, oh, Matt Barnes, all the Matt smoke. Barnes and uh, Stephen Jackson. Grant Hill was on there. Grant Hill was on there. Or Island. Or yeah, and I said Grant Hill still has that perfect Island Houston, perfect fade. And it's and like you see my comment, and you were like, "Hey, I got a five. I'm like, "Who is this dude?" <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So I think me bringing up Island Houston might have, you know. Plus your hardcore, Dude, and you know, being a dick bang. I'm a youth with a man. Yo, Spreewell, he was on that Spreewell Larry Johnson. He was on that four point play. Wound yeah. up being my, wasn't he a part? Like, Alan awesome. Houston was on that um, when Van Gundy was getting drugged by morning. Right. Well, he was even on there when, because I used to love John Stark. So it was him and John Stark and um, Ewing. Like, yeah, the Knicks had, they had some tough rosters. They were tough. Yeah, not deep. Couldn't score, man. Like, nobody could really shoot. But, I mean, like, it was... I don't know why it's so romanticized, but it... um, 
I don't know. It was just the grittiness, the toughness, the anger. Um, because New was, York, it's the, in New York, and yeah, you know they they had some pretty tough series with the Bulls. I guess at the time, never beat them, but like who was really beating the Bulls? But yeah. um, yeah, man, and those next teams, like I said, it's nostalgic. You know, it's, it's New York. They've been wanting New York basketball to be back for the longest, and I don't know what's not. They're, they're, I, I don't know, Nick. Are you still a Nick fan? Dude, I'm such a Fairweather fan now. I don't even um, I I try not to. So, not to be like too woke, but the I came I this is how I know again like another sign of like you're getting old. Like why do I care who the owner is? But the fact that James Dolan seems to be this uh, weird racial dude that doesn't want to like spend money, can't hire people, and like. You fucking mm-hmm. mad at Charles Oakley? Like Charles Oakley should be putting you in your place, dude. Like right. Spike, I, I think there was a story I read. Like Spike Lee got held up and wasn't allowed to go somewhere. And I'm yeah, like, they didn't let him in. Like they didn't let him in a certain interest that he's always went to. Yeah, or like you're like, what the like, fuck is going yeah. on, dude? What, what, what? If he doesn't matter, if everyone doesn't, Patrick Ewing had the same kind of story where he was like, I was playing for the Hoyas, or I'm not playing for the Hoyas. Like the Hoyas were playing in Madison Square Garden, and um. He was like, security wouldn't let me go through. And like, I don't have identification. My number's in the rafters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I'm sure there's a picture of Patrick Ewing somewhere in there. I've yeah. never been, but I'm just, I'm just going to take a guess that there's a picture of Patrick Ewing somewhere. You would hope, man. Yeah. So I can't remember when I fell out of love. You know who it might have been? Um, it might have been, talking about Kentucky dude, Rex Chapman. Wow, when you're Rex, taking it back. Dude, well, no, it wasn't when he played Kentucky, but on the Suns, when he caught that cross-court pass on the far and, baseline, took the one and step the and hit the, the three. Fadeaway? Oh, man, I remember that was such a nostalgic part of my childhood. That fadeaway on a baseline. Yeah, I remember dude. that. Like, I think, like, he, and then he was in, like, the dunk contest. I think it was, like, pre-Brent Barry, he threw the ball behind his back, caught it, and dunked it. Or it was, I don't know, man. It was something where it was like, wait, there's a white boy who can shoot and dunk? Yo, Rex <laughs> Chapman was bad, man. I, I remember that fadeaway three-pointer. Like, I remember, I was a kid. And I just remember that shot. And I was like, oh, like, Rex Chapman was like Him and Dan Marley. Yeah. Dan Marley was cold, too, man. Thunder Dan. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I think what happened is it was like a mixture of, like, Steve Wojciechowski. It's funny. It almost goes back to, and maybe that's why I cared about, like, be an example for African-American kids. Like when I was asking you about that, because like watching the Knicks, like Charlie Ward, I can't identify with him. I'm not a Heisman winner, right? Like I need someone who looks like, oh, Rex Chapman. He looks small. He looks skinny and frail. Wait, he's tearing shit up. And then like Duke got um, Steve Wojciechowski. And I'm like, yo, just Mr. Hustle. That's all you got to do is make really sound bounce passes and take charges. Fuck, I can go D1. You know, so like- I, I wonder if that's when I drifted away from the Knicks um, to just finding players that I'm like, like I loved Bone or I loved, um, I think they called him Bones, Brent, Brent Berry and Rick Berry. They were yeah, just Brent like, Rick. yeah, the two brothers were really cool. And then after that, it's like Bobby Sura. I was in his bag for a little bit. And like, I look at some of my favorite players. There was one guard from Oregon. Actually, it was a guard and a small forward, um, Luke Jackson. <laughs> I was like, he's going to be the next big thing. And nah, (laughs) 
Luke Rittenhauer. <laughs> Luke Rittenhauer blew it up in one playoff game for the Sonics. I was like, I fucking told you. And I'm like looking to buy a jersey. And it was like, why would you drop $55 on this fool? Stop you it. wanted Adam Morrison to be good Dude, so bad. More than life itself. <laughs> when when he went to Jordan, and like I was like, I don't know if Jordan was owning the Bobcats at that point. But I, no, I'm pretty sure he was, because that goes on his resume a bad pick. Does it? <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, yeah, he gets grief for that and Kwame Brown. So, yeah, yeah dude, the Kwame sure. Brown thing was fucking terrible. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I, I really think that my fan loyalty shifted to, like, personal identification in, like, my late teens, early 20s of who cannot, like, J.J. Redick? Like, dude, yeah. what perfect fitting with Orlando and Howard. How are you not playing him? You don't know anything, NBA coach. And then it's like, oh, yeah. Even JJ admits he was so far away. Right. Well, see, I think that, that's what the league is. That It's easy for that to happen in that league. Like, because you're not wearing a helmet, like, it's good. Like, it's easy to relate more with a player because yeah. you see them and you can see their personality and they could stand out more. Like, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of similar too. Like I used to just go to wherever. Like I was a huge Shaq fan, so <laughs> Big that wherever Shaq went until he got old and started playing. Like seeing Shaq in a Celtics jersey was the weirdest shit ever. Like <laughs> even to this day, like I'm like, yo, that doesn't that was Photoshop, but he's there. But like, so I was literally I was Magic, and then I was Lakers, and then I was Heat. But then like, then he went to the Suns, then he went to the Cavs. I'm like, all right, I don't need to do it too much, but like. Yeah, like it's easy to cheer for players in the NBA more so than teams, for sure. Yeah, I think that's a um. So I'm forty. I'm forty one this summer, and I think that start of like our generation. I don't know if it's because like people like like you moved around a little bit. I've moved around. Like it takes away from the loyalty, not being able to like see all the games all the time. Because that was a big yeah. thing too. Is you only got to see who was on TV, and they only put stars on TV. Sure. And when stars started to move, you're just like, well, I watch them all the time. That's who I know. It's not like I grow up watching the Sixers every night. Right. I only yeah. know the Sixers because of Iverson. So when Iverson goes to Detroit, Iverson goes mm-hmm. to Denver, I'm like, dude, Iverson Mello, yeah. I'm all in. Like, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Iverson was my dude, man. Yeah, me wearing the headband, the finger band, all that stuff. The fact that white kids would like you could buy the sleeve tattoos, (laughs) and like white kids were doing it, and everybody was like, "Yep." That's why I hated them because it it was a it was a cultural shift. I think it was the beginning of what what used hip hop and NBA culture. Like, he wasn't the first, like, put it this way, he wasn't the first NBA player to rap at that point. But when Shaq rapped, it was more like Shaq's rapping. It was for like, money. Although Alan he did. I, he, I like, you, <laughs> dude, I heard it the other day. Like, Shaq actually, like, Shaq has a track with Biggie. Yeah, you can't stop the rain. Yeah. Dude, like, like say that, like, Shaquille O'Neal is on the same track as. With and it's actually pretty dope. Yep. It's actually a pretty yep. dope record. And Foo Schnickens. Like, I mean, like, yeah. the, he has a couple, like, here and there, Shaq, where you're like, wow, man. Like, you've got some skill. But it seemed like, for the most part, it was, like, money grab with him. It was like he yeah, knew he could just make cash and go platinum because he was that yep. personality. Where Iverson seemed like he was that dude that, like, wanted to be a rapper. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I was just watching an interview and Shaq talked about it. He was like, yo, like, I went platinum on my first two albums, but, you know, it's because, like, I was Shaq. You know, he said, by the third and fourth album, like, they kind of caught on to it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? He, like, he, he was very, very aware that he was able to get certain features based off of being Shaq. You know what I mean? But, you know, more power to him. I mean, he still makes music. He makes a shit ton of money in the EDM world, DJ and all that other stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? But AI was a, man, I'm telling you, like, it was just different. Like, like, excuse me, from what I remember, he was the first to have cornrows. He had everybody wanting to get braids. He had everybody wanting to wear headbands. He was one of the first players that really, like, like at the same time, uh, N1 mixtape series was a thing. And, like, he was the closest person to that in the league. So, like, you know, like, the crossover, like, you know, he wasn't the first person with a crossover, but... It just seemed like it was more weaponized. He was he the did first one to you hit that I mean? motherfucker on Jordan and put it on. Yeah, him. like you know, there was like a hanging cross. It might have been a carry, but I don't know. But it don't matter. Do you remember uh, the Reebok commercial where they broke yeah. down his moves and they had like the behind the back where he would like yeah. cross it and then whip yeah. it behind his back and get it back again? Yeah, I literally used to practice that move yeah. all day, dude. <laughs> Like, yeah, he, like, that was the perfect, yeah, that whole hip-hop MTV, I think BET yeah. was coming along a little later. There was this, like, other music app, um, The Box, where... Oh, I had The Box. My dad remember? would never let me call in and... Dude, and it yeah. would cost, like, two, three dollars or whatever to get a yeah, song on. You know, and... you have to put in your number, like, you go and you see the number, like, oh, I want four, five, seven. My dad would never let me do it. Dude, but, like, that was the perfect, the fact that, like, you could get... And I, this is earlier, but you could get like Doggy Style, you could get The Chronic, like you could get Pac, you could get all this hip hop on the East Coast that was West Coast. And then yeah. you could see them, not only listen to the music, but see them. And the hip hop just blew up where yeah. it became accepted. Like it was okay that you didn't look like people and you embraced their culture. Mm -hmm. It, it yeah. really was, um, it man, it was like, I don't know. Everybody romanticizes their youth, but like it was fucking magical. I wonder if like people, I wonder if other people think of like grunge in the nineties, the way that like you and I seem to think about hip hop and basketball of like the late nineties, two thousands. I don't, I don't know. Well, you, well, you got to remember at the time, like they were saying like hip hop was a phase and it wouldn't last. Like it wasn't a lot of people believing in it, but you know, it, it slowly and still is just became so influential like other music genres started sounding like hip-hop and it went from hip-hop artists were now in gap commercials and stuff like that so it's like after a while like they couldn't they couldn't downplay it anymore but i definitely feel like our era was like one of the better eras just because of like you said that transition from you know tape the cds to then the internet and then the napster lime wire like I remember Dude. sitting in front of my dial computer for like three hours to download one song, but it was one, the greatest three hours ever. Yeah, one song and 24 viruses, and then your computer yeah. be shut down for the next month and a half. Just to, just to make a mixtape that was Summer Jam's 97 or Summer Jam. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was an era, man. It was a time. You know, but just like you said, Romana, just like the people in the 70s would talk about how like things became more free and experimentation with drugs yeah we all have different things to like you know lean on as it comes to it but i feel like our generation like we've seen a lot in our generation like yeah so you know, 
This is something I get into going back to not to make everything like black and white, but the, like the teachers, we get, we get a lot of like racial microaggression, white privilege training. And not that, um, not that it doesn't exist, but part of people who are similar to my age are like, I really don't feel like I'm a racist. I feel like I'm a merit-based individual, but now you're making me question if I actually like people or if I don't, am I a closet racist? And it's one of those weird things where it's like, dude, we've kind of, we grew up in a time where like we shared a lot of similar culture with people that you're saying that a typical white person would hate and try to limit their opportunities. And I have, I and a lot of people I talk to have a hard time like buying into these trainings because of that, because we're like, we're not trying to say racism doesn't exist, but maybe what we're saying is the people growing up, it didn't exist to them because they just maybe thought black people were cool. If anything, they're like anti-racist, like black people would get too much credit <laughs> in their view because they idolized hip hop. They idolized basketball. Right. Well, I think there's a difference between cultural admiration and cultural acceptance. Uh, um, I, I think, um, as for like, I think what I think a lot of the training, like a lot of times, people will look at it as like something that's more surface level, but it's more so like it's like structural or subtle racism. Like I didn't, so I moved from the inner city to the suburbs and. I tell this story quite a bit of times. There were times where racist things were happening to me and I didn't even realize. And there actually was a time where one of my first early white friends pointed it out to me. Like, for example, you know, when you're a kid, you're all outside playing, you know, you're jaywalking, whatever, cops and robbers. And there was a time where, like, we all across the street, we all jaywalked. And a cop pressed me, like, pressed me hard. And I'm a kid. Like, but again, I was a big kid. Like, I looked older, <laughs> but, like, we're all, like, eight, I think. Yeah, I was, like, eight, eight seven. And he's like pressing, like giving me a hard time. Like, nah, you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, mind you, all my little white friends that were with me, they all did the same thing I did, but he was giving me a hard time. Yeah. I didn't think that of it. So it took my white friend saying, like, hey, man, what, like, what are you doing? Like, we all did it. Like, he's with us, like, type of thing. And I didn't even realize that that was a thing until I spoke to my father. He's just like, you know, certain things are going to be different for you yeah, than they so are your so, but that, that's, I guess that's my point because what I'm thinking about with me is I would have been one of those friends with you talking about he's with us where right. the officer and your father grew up in way different, way terrible. I mean, you were talking about redlining, dude, like you study some of that shit and you're like, dude, you, you couldn't fucking like you, you and women couldn't own property. What, what, are, what, are, what are we doing here? This makes no sense. But that's like, why I said it's structural because even the effects of red line are still felt today. Like depending on how many layers of the onion you want to peel back, it's I the reason you. why you can't get certain funding to get better schools. It's yeah. the reason why you don't that's the reason why you do have voter suppression rights. So I think overall the teaching is because they know that structurally there are things that might be a factor into why things might not appear to be or seemingly be equal. So and it's more so like a structural teaching than it is like blatant, you yeah. know what I mean? Overt racism type of thing. 
Yeah. See, and I think that's the mentality going back to like perspectives. I, yeah. I don't know why, like I'm so sensitive and it, again, like you can get something out of everything. So you sit there in the trainings and I like to self-reflect, self-analyze, but a lot of it's like, yo, I don't need four hours of this shit, yeah. man. Like I understand people have trauma. I understand I shouldn't just cause someone talks loud, like automatically kick them out, like try to build a relationship. I got it. But like, don't you do that with everybody? Why, why are we compartmentalizing it into these racial things? But I think what you're saying, the systematic part is like what it, needs to be addressed. Need. Like I said, it, I, I mean, like a prime example, like whenever, I hate even bringing this stuff up, but like whenever a white kid or whatever shoots up the school, the first thing I'm going to talk about is this mental mind state where, you know, if anything that happens in our community, they never bring up the PTSD that might, that he might have lived through, that he might have had mentally being raised where he was or growing up, you know, how he grew up or being placed in a place where he was. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I, I think the, the biggest the biggest change that should happen as it pertains to teaching things about racial sensitivity and things of that nature, I think that just like with all these companies, when they do things that are like, I'm like, how does this even get past all these people? Like, this is clearly racist. How the fuck did you make a shirt with a noose on it? I think those things should include actual minorities. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of the talks and conversations, like, you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's, it's dope to have an ally of a different race yeah. or color or treatise or things of that nature. But, like, you have to actually involve these people that are going through these experiences that can tell you certain things of, like, the subtle, you know, subtle. Just like I said, like, me being in corporate America, like, there's little things, little comments that I hear all the time that I just have to, like, decide, like, okay, like, do I want to say something or not? Like, that literally could happen every day. But, like, somebody wouldn't think nothing of it. But, like, if you didn't talk to me or care to want to know, and that's why I said, like, conversations, getting to know your neighbor and talking to people, like, then you would never know. Because, like, not everything's a big enough deal for me to make a deal out of it. Like, what the fuck? Like, I'm going to come in here and get my money. Like, I don't know these. I'm not going to know these people outside of here. I don't even care to make it a big deal. Like, you me being who I am and, and, and having to be a minority in that situation, I got to pick and choose my battles and pick and choose what I want to make a point of because I'm also a big dude. So even if I'm just coming and talking to you, <laughs> now I'm talking to you, you might take it as like, oh shit, this big black dude with tattoos is mad at me. <laughs> like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's so multi-layered. And, you know, like I said, but I, I think it's good that you're even thinking about it, even if you, the way that you're thinking about it, I still think that that's important because it's a conversation that should be able to be had without people getting so angry that we can't, you know, take something from it. Yeah, it, it's part of the appeal of sports that I love, man, is like, and I, I try to, I don't know, like, I just try to apply it to life where it's like, I want to be merit based. I want to give everyone an opportunity and like, if I'm calling a play for you to hit the jump shot, it's not because I like you more. It's not because you're a booster. It's not because you're a color. It's because we've tracked who can hit jump shots and you're the dude that can come off of a curl and hit it with the highest probability of it going in. You know, yeah. like like there's a, there, there's a track record where I'm basing my decisions and interactions with you off of. And I, I, I just... I don't know, man. Like, but again, like maybe that's because I'm a white male and I've talking, I've spoken to females where like, dude, I go out for jogs and I just take the fact that I'm a dude for granted. 
And mm -hmm. I can take my shirt off and go for a jog five miles in the country and not worry about a van pulling over and trying to snatch me up, which women have experienced. And I'm like, you're fucking kidding me, dude. Somebody wants to mess with you. You're all sweaty outside trying to get a run in. And they're like, yeah. Sean, it's common. Honking. Common. Honking. Mm -hmm. Pulling over. Like throwing stuff at me because they think they're flirting. It's fucking disgusting. I'm like, stop. That shit don't ever happen to me. Yeah. So because it doesn't happen to me, I'm like, it doesn't happen. Exactly. But exactly. it does happen. And like and you wouldn't know if you had those conversations. Yeah, you know man. what I mean? And that's what I, I feel like, again, to get back to it, it's, it's crazy because it seems like I shit on social media a lot. But man, I feel like a lot of bad shit comes from it. Like, it literally took, it literally takes away, like, it's crazy how it's like a, I guess you would say like an oxymoron or whatever, or the irony of it, like it allowed people to be more accessible to the most information ever and, and more people than you can imagine. But in doing so, it kept us from talking to the person next to us. Like we're always in our fucking phone. Like, yeah. like people don't get to know people. Like even, even with dating, you got to think of it this way. Like there's so many dating apps and things and the instant gratification that we spoke about earlier. Like, it took a way to get to know you process. It kind of messed it up because in the past, if I didn't like a person, I would have to go out and meet another person and I would have to probably approach them. But since I don't, like, it, it completely changes everything because it's like, what can you do for me now? You can't do nothing for me now. Okay, you go to the bathroom and you swipe, 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 and I'll find somebody else. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, you actually... You used to have to actually write letters to people. You used to have to actually, like, go out to meet people. But I could sit here at my house and, and be who I want to be on this and talk who I want to talk. I meet somebody from the state I'm visiting in two months from now. You know what I mean? Like, it really just kind of changed things. And it, and it messed up our interpersonal skills. People don't know how to fucking talk to each other. Like, because we're just always in our phone. Like, you know? Yeah, but see, now you're on my corner, which you're a boomer like me. Your old man, get off your phone. Yeah. It get off your yeah. phone is the new get off your lawn. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I look. I tell you this. I can't wait to be that old guy to tell people to get off my grass. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that part of life. Yeah, I uh, I noticed there's a lot more gray in my beard, and I grew my beard out um, recently, like a a decent decent length, and um, I embraced. It. I was like, people like screwing, like, oh man, you're looking older. I'm like, yo, I'll tell you yeah. what, dude, it is great to be older yeah. like that means i'm living exactly exactly i agree man i i embrace all the time like i said i say i'm a leader of the watch game i say it all the time basically like two or three days to recover from a hangover i'm like oh man old me would be disgusted <laughs> <laughs> that's so true my younger self would just calm again i guess the negative talk too though like my younger self would do nothing but make fun of my older self and just belittle me and I like, maybe that's like where the, where it comes in that negative self-talk is you have those, um, memories of what you were, which are probably romanticized, which are probably overstated and right. it, it distorts your ability to accept what you are in the moment. True. Hey, that was a knowledge bomb right there. You're right. Cause you're comparing it to your younger self without really taking in a ton of other factors. <laughs> Yeah. Within doing that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a lot you got a lot more you said your dad you got a lot more going on right now. You know what I mean? Like you would the things that you valued at that time and the things that you stand on now I would hope 
morals and just different things that you want. And so much has changed since then, but it was a much simpler life back then. We, when they told us hey, it's good to be a kid and you wanted to be a grown up, now it's like, man, I kind of want to be a kid again. Yeah, it's I'm dealing with it with my daughter um, with working. And she's 12 and she got a babysitting job the other day. By the way, she fucking babysat for eight hours, made $100. Watching two little six and four-year-old girls playing with them all day. I'm like, you're going to pay her $100 for doing that? And they were like, that's a deal. I'm actually shortchanging. I'm like, stop. She was like, two kids, 15 to 20 an hour. And then I look at Taco Bell and in Delaware, it's 16 an hour. And I'm like, all right. So like, I need to recalibrate myself. Um, but like, I look at that with my daughter and I emphasize earn your money. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want her to work. I want her to have a work ethic, but then I'm like, do I want you giving up? And it's part of why I was asking you today while I was like, Hey man, I'm, I'm might be a little late. Cause it was like a last minute sleepover thing. And now we got to get your shit together. We got to take you over there. I can't just drop you off. I got to talk to the parents a little bit, you know? And like, I want that for her because it's gone quick. And then, like, do you when do you get it back? Retirement, sixty five. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, hopefully not. Like, you don't want to <laughs> again. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you know how we're programmed to you know go to high school, go to college, get a house, blah blah. And then, oh, when you're sixty five, you retire and you get your four hundred one k. Like, yeah, you hope not. You hope you get. I mean, I, I think you know as you get a little older, like you do still live life and enjoy like those twenties, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people live a lot of life in their twenties and things of that nature. So it's just added responsibility that you get in life, but you definitely take for granted the innocence of being a child and, you know, not really having responsibilities. Like, that's the worst part. Like of being a adult, like, yo, man, I can't believe I wanted to pay bills. This sucks. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff. Like, I saw man, bills I as it. freedom. I used to complain about eating spaghetti all the time, but now I'm like, man, I would love if somebody was buying me spaghetti all the time. Like, I don't want to buy no damn groceries. <laughs> Keep it easy with yeah. those ramen noodles. Like, man, yeah, so cheap, like, so quick. It, no dishes, eat it right out the pot. <laughs> yeah, man. But like, I, I, I joke now all the time. It's like, now that I'm older, like, I used to fight nap time as a kid. Like, I schedule naps. Like, I love naps. I'm nap king cold, bro. I love nap. <laughs> like, like, and it's funny because, like, all my friends are semi-watched, too. So, it's like, when we about to do something, like, hey, bro, I kind of got to get a nap in. So, like, hey, man, me too. I hit you up in, like, two hours. Like, I mean, <laughs> my nap is clutch in your 30s. Dude, I've been, I've been on that nap game for maybe three, four years where it's literally a part of my routine where I, I get home like around three ten. Dude, I hit this little day bed about three twenty and I'll set an alarm for like three fifty five, four o'clock, right? Cause I want about like 30 minutes. Yeah. And I'm to the point now where like I'm waking up before the alarm goes off. Like my body is trained to just pop up and like be rejuvenated, man. It's pretty fucking like it's it's weird, but at the same time, I'm like, I hope this is good for me. I feel like hey. this is good for me. Well, I, I look at it this way. Who knows if it is or not, but I know when I don't get my nap, it, it, I'm off. Like, I need my nap, man. <laughs> like I'm saying, you a kid, you hated nap time. He used to force me to go to nap yeah. when I was in, like, what, daycare and all. Now? What? Yeah, I got to get nap in. I'm going to hit you up in a little bit. 
I don't even hide it. I used to make stuff up. Like, oh, I gotta run for McNabb, bro. I'm taking the snap. Yeah, no, yeah, dude. There's no point. Like, you just you just want to own it. You definitely want to yeah. own it. Own that shit, man. Take your snap. Can, and if you don't want to talk about this, this is fine. But you've brought up dating apps a couple times. And I'm super curious about your experience on this and relationships based on it. Or is this a terrible thing to get into on something that's recorded and is going to be public? Uh, it definitely is, is a, a, a touchy thing to get into when it's recorded. But I can speak on it in general. Um, <laughs> in, in general, like I said, I think it's... Um, get pros and cons of it definitely um but like i said i definitely think that it is affected you know dating in general in a negative way um again it's because of the the uh, attainability of people the accessibility of people like so um, you seem really i'm sorry man but like you just seem so respectful right and that doesn't go with the stereotypical jock who wants to use women um, man, I can get real disrespectful. But I feel like you have to earn that. Like, I'm not just out here being disrespectful for no reason or nothing like that. But, gotcha. um, you know, I, I kind of, I'm kind of, I match energy for sure. But, because um, you're, a, just, what was it, a Capricorn or a Sagittarius? Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know if that's what that means, but I match energy for sure. But I just think, man, it, it, I don't know, man. Like I said, because of the attainability, because of, I think it made a lot of people more entitled. Um, mm. because like you can find somebody that's willing to at least say that they're willing to do something for you at an immediate time. Like I said, I, I can be whoever I want on social media. So like you can have a page with pictures that are your best pictures and you're saying whatever. And that's just to get your foot in the door. And like I said, you heard catfishing and fishing or catfishing. There's yeah. all types of fishes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I do miss the, the, the actually, having to go out and to meet people and you know i feel like not to say that you can't form something well off of meeting somebody online i know a lot of people actually my best friend down here my college football teammate he met his now wife off of social media um but you know it's just with anything there needs to be certain things in moderation and as long as you realize that this is only a part of the real world and the real world is actually out there then I think you'll be fine. But I think it's a phase in life that everybody must go through. Um, the dating apps and all that other stuff, just because, you know, we get busy and you don't always have the time to go out and meet people and things of that nature. But it's a mess, man. It's a wild, wild west, man. It's crazy. It's a, man, we'll have to do a whole nother pod, man. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you some stories, man. It's, it's a wild, wild west, man. Well, I'm wondering, do you have, like, have you gone on an experience with, like the catfish, like a brunette's a blonde, like they're extra 50 pounds. Like you're like, dude, you're actually 58. Yes. Yes. This, that, look, this is my answer. Yes. With a period at the end. That's my answer. So all of the above. <laughs> it's, it's, well, cause you gotta think like, so I was around where a lot of them start. Okay. So let's, let's wind it back. So I graduated high school in 2005. In 2005, Facebook was still around, but if you had to have a college address, so you had to be in college to use Facebook. You, you, you had to have a college email. So everybody on Facebook, it was, you had to have a college. So that was that. Um, and then later on, like MySpace and 
then like slowly but surely all these dating apps started popping like and things of that nature so i got to kind of be a part of the beginning of that process where people might have still been naive you know what i mean like it was it was a little different like now everybody kind of knows what comes with it and the different games of players what different sites are better for what things of that nature and people know how to use those things to their advantage not to say there's not genuine genuine good people on any of those apps or any of things of that nature but i'm just saying it's way more populated of a pool now than when it was when it first started yo so i had a lady um she's uh I can't give away too many details just in case you never know. Like later on in the pod, I start getting a little looser. Cause I'm like, ah, like two twenty in probably ain't going to hear it. Get back to you. But it was a lady who's older than me, who is back on the dating scene. So I want to say mid early forties. And, um, she went on Tinder and then she was like, wait, Tinder's not for dating. And, and I was like, when was fucking Tinder ever for dating? Like, wasn't that the whole fucking point of Tinder? The fact that you're even posting shit on Facebook about, wait, Tinder's not for dating anymore. Like, you need to immediately, like, Christian mingle or bumble yeah. some shit. Like, like you, yeah. you, they're, they're, you got to pay for a service. If you're out yeah. there getting shit for free, what else comes for free? Like, it, it was a very weird thing. But... I guess I bring that up to talk about the age disconnect because that's interesting. You, I missed out on a little bit of that wave. So I graduated in 99 and I, I don't know. I, I, wasn't a fa- I wasn't a social media person at all. Um, but it's, it's interesting someone who's grown up to see a change within it. I'm sorry, I didn't yep. mean to cut you off, but like that just reminded me of her like shock of like, I always heard Tinder was a dating site. It's not a dating uh-huh. site. Well, this happens a lot, but you got to think, like, if you met somebody that, let's say they've been married the last yeah. seven years, and now they're not, like, that's a whole new world for them, like, that they never experienced it, you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, like, I do have married friends who are just, like, when they hear stories of things that are going on out there, and they're just like, man, I'm never getting divorced, like, I'll just deal with my little bullshit, because, man, I'm hearing some wild stuff, like, you know, and it's... It, and it keeps changing. Like now, the, the younger generation, the things that they argue about within the dating world, like you'll go on Twitter and it'll be something trending. And the, the trending topic is, is a day to date if it's under $200. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the topic? Like, and this is like a hardcore debate between 21 to 25 year olds, like debating if a day to date is under $200. I'm just like, man, like, yeah, it, different times. It seems like it would be, again, this is just like me observing kids and the school trainings I go to, but it would be like misogynistic to take someone out on a date and like pay, right? Like open a door. You're a misogynist. I'll pay the check. You're a misogynist. It's like, am I or am I chivalrous? But like, I imagine that type of shit popping off. Or like some so overly stupid. misogynist dude being like, oh, no, no, what do you want? I'll order for you. And like, I could see yeah. that being a dick move, but I just wonder how many online dates get ruined because some dude's like, yeah, I can get the check. Yeah, it's, it, oh, man, it's, like I said, it's confusing time. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot going on. And like I said, it, there is a disconnect, even with your story that you just gave, with ages, even within the dating community now, like, you know what I mean? So, like, if you have somebody such as myself, like, bro, I already been here, done that, done all this. Like, 
you know what I mean? But like, like I said, the younger generation is again because they're going off what they see. And when you go on Instagram or one of these sites, like all you see is like funny stuff. Like you'd be surprised how many people think that a lot of people make six figures. Like, and that's a Google away. Like you, like the average male income is like fifty five k. Yeah. Like, but there's mad people who think that, like, if you ask them, what do you want out of a man? They'd be like, well, you know, I just make like, you know, 150 to 200. Like, do you realize that's like 5% of men, period? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's a, it's a disconnect with reality because of how much time is spent on the social media with like shit that's not reality because, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, you're not, you're not seeing low lights when you look on any of those sites, it's all highlights. It's all dope shit. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, so again, that's, that's where you circle all the way to make a full circle. That's where you get back to fulfillment and, and things and what you want in life and what's successful to you instead of just chasing that rabbit hole, that, 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 that hamster wheel of what you think it is and what you think going to make you happy, what yeah. you think everybody else has, because then when you don't get it, that's when you get the depression system. That's where you yeah. get the FOMO. That's when you get all that other stuff. Dude, what's weird to me is the fact that you got to like self-market. You got to choose particular pictures of how you want to display yourself with the thoughts of attracting a specific audience. It's like we've created a bunch of fucking marketing directors that are just hoping instead of like to bring in profit to like not catch an STD. And that's their ultimate goal. I didn't think that that's where you were going with that, the STD part. I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, well, maybe just yeah, like, yeah, you're, 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 it's a, a, a assembly line, if you will. Like, you have a, a interlude or introductory statement and your best couple of pictures to, you know, gauge somebody's attention. Right? Like, it just, it to me, it's, it, I just wonder... I don't know, man. I, I, I like wonder about the person that just has anxiety already and is fretting over all those decisions. And then when they don't get right, they question their own value. And they're like, mm-hmm. why am I not good enough? Because this is who I think I am. Where despite how you choose to present yourself, that might not be actually who you are to other people. Yeah. Other people might, whatever. If I'm like a sarcastic ass, they might be like, yo, he's got a great poker face. It's like, no, I'm just a really good liar. Like, no, you just have a really good poker face. And those are two completely different things with completely different connotations. But I can't say really great liar because who the fuck's going to date a liar? But I could be like great poker face. And now it's like, ooh, is he clever? And it's like, (laughs) no, I'm just a really good liar. Right. But like if you if you market yourself and don't get picked up, it really I think that would like it would crush you to be like, this is how I saw myself and I put it out there and it's not good enough versus if you yourself are just out there, whatever, at a bar, at a club, you're dancing and it's like, oh, whatever, nobody was feeling me tonight. Like n- nobody was vibing with me tonight. Right. I, I feel like you and I both need to be like psychology majors. How come you never got into psychology? You seem very into analyzing people man again back to astrology they, they say that that's what capricorns do that's just what they tell me man Sean, i'm telling you this is they, tell, they tell me i'm the most capricornicus capricorn of them all and to me i'll just fight it like nah whatever i'm me like i don't know too many people like me i'm not just 
every but every Capricorn can't be the same. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> like, yeah, like I am. I definitely am logical and assess situations, and I realize that there is some value in just entering a room and just watching the room work and just kind of seeing, you know, what everybody's doing. But um, I think when you become more comfortable in yourself, then you start to see through a lot of other people's bullshit or just you get to see people for face value because like you've been through it all, you know yourself, you're comfortable in yourself, so you're not trying to be something else, so you can be more attentive to other things because you're just there. Like I'm me regardless, regardless of what's going on around me or whatever. Like, I mean, not, not to get, not to get it twisted. Like there's times where you got to kind of like, you know, switch up a little bit based off of where you're at, but overall your core is you and nothing necessarily is going to change that. So, like once you're comfortable within that you become like more observant to people around you and the way people interact around you um i found that i found myself doing more of that later on yeah because you're a boomer watching a room you literally like like i used to crack up like when i used to go out with my friends back in the day a long time ago like we would all go out before i moved and i had a friend like and it's like he always wanted to, like, try to holler at the girl who are like, I'm just like, bro, that is a dead mission. Like, no, like, she is not. It's like, I'm sitting here watching her turn people. Like, she don't even want to be here. She's the mom of the If you just sat and watched, you would be able to notice this. But oh. you want to go over there and giggity, giggity, goo, like, quagmire, and, and, and now you hurt. Like, I'm like, this is a, read the room. Like, that's to read the room. Sometimes you just got to read the room. <laughs> so that's always been a trait of yours. Just kind of sitting back a little bit. Kind of. Um, yeah, like I said, once once you leave that, you know, that college athlete egomania, e- egomaniac type of stage, like once you kind of get over that, then yeah, like you kind of you kind of just become more observant. You know, you kind of want to know where you're at. You kind of want to know what type of people you're around. And again, like you're confident, you're confident and comfortable within yourself. And, you know, you don't care about doing as much. You got to just kind of feel like, what type of environment I am, what side of me do I feel comfortable with sharing with everyone? Because not everybody should get all of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, dude, that's some good old man advice right there. Um, yeah. Right? Because then you're not special anymore. If you give it away to everybody, then uh, yeah. what's nah, special about it? Not everybody deserves to see every side of you. Yeah. No, you know, that's a... Like, you can earn a little bit. Hey. Is there and dude, I um, I, I feel like I just kept deflecting you off of um, some talking points or some things you wanted to talk about because a couple times you had mentioned like, hey, that was something else I wanted to get into. Um, oh, yeah. Is there something we haven't gotten into that you wanted to talk a little bit about? Um, I mean, just basically, man. If anybody's listening, I just tell them like, man, just just keep going. Um, you shouldn't keep like. Again, it kind of goes in with the message, but just not necessarily, even what we're talking about now, not necessarily seeking validation from other people. Um, kind of to go back to when I was talking about using Facebook and things that nature. There was a time where um, I, I created this perfect example. I created a, a blog, uh, a hip hop blog. Basically, I would like um, do like album reviews, have people submit freestyles, and I would post like mixtapes and stuff like that. So I'm doing it, and at the time, the only social media around was um, Facebook, pretty much. So every post I make was like, 
hey, uh, check out my blog site. You know, I got these albums on here, blah, 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 blah. I got this artist who submitted a freestyle, blah, 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 blah. And to get back to what I said, the marketing teacher, he introduced this program called uh, Google AdSense. And basically that's how you, like, would get uh, companies to, you know, put ads on your page and things of that nature. So I kind of got into that. And, you know, I was making a little bit of money with ads on my page based off of the traffic and if they click ads, things of that nature. So I'm doing it and then... I realized that I felt like this is when I, I wasn't as confident in myself as BBNC. I didn't feel like I was getting the support from the people I considered close to me, like my friends. But you know what I mean? Like, I didn't feel like I was getting what I felt like was their validation. They would go on there every now and then, but, you know, overall, they're just like, man, what's this site you keep talking about on Facebook? Because, again, that was the only way to advertise. They're like, I hope this site can you because that's all you talk about. Like, well, this is my site. Like, so, yeah, like, you know what I mean? You guys, this is like when you still was, stealing music online and stuff like that. Like, I had this, this shared file. You can go in and get it off my page. So I completely stopped doing it just because of that. And it was something that I I enjoyed. It was something that I was semi-passionate about at the time. And I just completely stopped doing it. Well, fast forward, and more and more uh, blog sites and whatever became more and more popular. Like, it became a thing. Like, they had hip-hop DX. You got all these people that created, like, personas off of it. And it's, like, big business now. And I randomly, I'll never forget, I randomly went to that old email. I remember the password. I went to the email. And I still had, I would say, probably 125 emails of people submitting, like, freestyles and mixtapes. Like, hey, came across your page online. Can you feature? And I'm just like, here I am. I quit something that was important to me, that was kind of like a dream to me, because my friends, I didn't feel like, supported me enough. And because I sought so much validation from them, and here I am, I had a couple checks waiting for me. I had these people that were still sending me their music and things of that nature, and I stopped on that because of why. So it's just, you never know when that one day, like if you quit, it could be one day too early before you're close to like making that dream situation happen. And, you know, I say that to say like, if you feel like you have a sense of purpose or if there's something that you're passionate about, Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. You know, success is certain. It's like I said, it's a passion project, group legs. Um, it's something that I feel like it's a part of me and my way of life. It's something I got tattooed on me years ago. And if the world ends today, like it's like art, like it's going to be around forever. Like it's oh, if if somebody donates my shirt and it goes to Goodwill or something, like it's still a part of history. Like it's still something that I did and something I can be proud of. And I just wish more people did things and did it for the right reasons and, and internalize if it's something that they really want to do. Because, like I said, like you could quit one day too early and, and, and never know, like you could reach that ultimate destination. Um, but, yeah, like I, I, I think of that a lot. Like, because now you got like DJ Academics, you got all these people who were, who started off just from like giving opinion-based album reviews and now they're like, now you got people getting paid for their likeness and getting paid for YouTube ads and all this stuff. And here I am. I stopped early just because my friends are complaining about me making too many Facebook posts. (laughs) Like, so me doing this and me saying this is a lifestyle brand, like, you know, it's tough at times because I want to continue to stay on brand and stay on the message. And I know there are certain things I can do that might quote unquote, make it take off a little more, but I'm doing this for the right reasons. And, um, you know, I, you know, it's hard to have integrity and do anything like this, but if there's any, We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting. 
makes it worth it. I keep it real with them. I'm saying, like, all right, well, you want to build a brand? All right, well, you want to build a logo? What's your brand's message? You need to continuously drill that in because that's what's going to get your repeat customer. And I, I kind of, like, give them step-by-step tips. And not a lot of people do that because they feel like it's competition. But usually by the time I tell them and give them a rundown of everything that's needed, they don't end up wanting to do it anyway. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, like, like I said, like, I have a brand. I have a lifestyle brand. I'm not making t-shirts. If I was making t-shirts, I could just make a t-shirt that represents a political party when they're running the race or, you know, yeah. a movie or something like that. And that's fine. You can make a lot of money. But again, I, I'm aware and I'm comfortable in the reasons why I'm doing it. And I'm okay with, you know, putting my foot on the gas and, and ramping it up or, you know, chilling and taking a step back from time to time. And I just wish, I just think the same thing with the home ownership conversation we have, I think, a lot of people give up on their dreams a little too early because they're seeking that validation. Yeah, man, the social media metrics make it so hard. And it, it yeah. almost makes me wonder about football players or I hear with basketball dudes all the time. Like if those fuckers don't drop double digits, you think they had a terrible game. And they'll have yeah. attitude. It's like, dude, number one, we weren't supposed to even be able to compete with that team. Not only did we compete, but we beat them. The fact that you had a terrible game but kept playing allowed us to win because whatever, offensive rebounds, um, you were accepting double teams and you were passing out early. You weren't selfish. You decided to lock down. Like so many other ways to impact. But the metrics of their group that matter, their social circle, is points. Mm -hmm. And they feel like a failure in those points. Mm -hmm. And social media is that enhances that it puts Time, a times a million there. man well because you can see how many likes you can see how many downloads you can see how many engagements you you're you're a brand you can see how many shirts you sell and it's like yeah. fuck am i a failure on wednesday like who's to decide this friday is the friday i'm a failure because i only sold five t-shirts where if right. on saturday somebody's gonna be laying on the couch and they're gonna be like oh damn that's what i needed today mm-hmm. and you you yeah. don't like you never know that but it's so easy to focus on the the negative of the growth grind. Yeah. Like, um, like what, uh, two things. Like one is it's the same, uh, what is it? Your progress does not need to be seen or validated by other people. And like, again, it, it's your progress. Like what are, what are you tracking and what are your goals? And, and that just kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier. And secondly, there's a video that went viral with Bradley Bill talking to his AAU team. And he was just like, all y'all are so focused on scoring points. Yeah. But like, that's not what's going to get you to the next level. How many people in college basketball average over 20 points a game? It's literally like one person per team, if that. But they're on a college basketball team because they might rebound and hustle really good. Or they might set good screens and play lock-up defense. So it's like, get over the that, like, Get over feeling like you can only affect the game with just scoring buckets. Like, this is a team effort. Like, what is your value to this team? And so I'm sure that's a conversation you would have to have with young players in this era when you're trying to go viral for doing a windmill dunk. I mean, you gave a perfect example. Like, the guy, you know, he could dunk and he's averaging one point. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> but that was probably so important to him. Like, but, like, dude, like, there's other things that you can do. But, like, some people will just be completely content with that windmill highlight dunk. Like, that's them. They made it because, again, our validation is coming from the sources and things outside of us. It's coming from the social media stuff. Like, I, again, like, I think it's a, a unhealthy obsession with uh, 
you know, validation and, and vanity. Like, I don't understand how people can post a selfie every day. Like, that's literally a part of your day. Like, every day, well, you set aside time to take a selfie. So, I don't know. It's, yeah. it. I'm conflicted on this. And you had brought it up about the brand thing. And it just, it strikes for me as a middle-aged man who is trying to create a brand or whatever with a mm -hmm. podcast. And early on, I had some people, younger people, tell me like, well, dude, your social media has none of you on it. It's like, what do you mean? And like, well, what the fuck do you look like, man? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> like, you're expecting to get to know people, but nobody fucking knows you based on if they were just going to search you up. And I'm like, man, that's a valid point. And then other yeah. people, the brand is them that they try to post all these selfies about. And I don't know how to like balance that being critical because I fall into your camp. Dude, like it's not natural for me to post me, if right. that makes sense. Like for some reason that just weirds me out. Um, but I try to put it out there because I'm a, a, in essence like being like, let me tell, let people know about me in case they want to know and trust me to come on my podcast. And the, at the other point, it's like, maybe that's actually what, sells. And if you're going to try to have a business, you do need sales. You do need metrics. It's just a very weird business place to be, to be like, man, be you, but at the same time, discount numbers when numbers are the only thing that matters to business people. Yeah. I mean, I think it's understanding your audience and understanding the, the growth of your audience. Like, what are you trying to do? You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think the overall, I think what your message or whatever should be is like potentially what you're doing, like get to know you podcast. Like we're getting to know, because like, you got to think like a lot of people feel like they have to be like a super important person to have this type of conversation that we're having, but we're just two regular people essentially. Like we relate more to people than the Kardashians do, but you know what I mean? Like they could gravitate towards what you're doing more than, you know, the super famous person doing. So in a sense, like that in itself is your brand and your message. Like the everyday person, like get to know you. Everybody has some sort of in person. Everybody has some sort of importance to where they can provide a wealth of knowledge or, you know, a good story to, to be able to talk on a podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, people can use their audiences within that to help promote it. And just like, that's overall the crowd that you're trying to attract. Like the everyday person, you know, feels like they got something to offer. Like, um, it, it's just knowing your audience, man. Cause like I said, in certain, in certain roles, in certain aspects, like it is important for you to show a lot of yourself. Cause you know, a lot of people might look for that, but like, for example, for me, I had to learn when I first started, and it's like, all right, what I'll do is I'll just find a sexy chick and, you know, send her a shirt and have her take some pictures. And then, boom, like, if she got a lot of followers, then, boom, I'm going to be popping. And I had to realize that her audience is a bunch of horny dudes. They don't care what she got on. That's not working for me. Like, I might get some good out of it. I'm not getting sales out of it. I'm not getting people coming to follow my page. Like, no, like, her audience and what what she is promoting to it. She's promoting her sexuality and it does nothing for me as a brand and my messaging. You know what I mean? So it's definitely trial and error, but it's just yeah. continuously understanding your audience and 
then sometimes you got to throw some paint on the wall and see if something else sticks. Like I said, I didn't want to be pigeonholed in what I do. So I'll have a talk with somebody who's a yoga instructor, and she's all about mantra and manifestation. Her, her determination that's completely different than mine, but she loves it. She wants to get T-shirts for her whole yoga class. You know what I mean? I'll meet a middle-aged soccer mom who feels successful as being a mom, a stay-at-home mom that's raised her kids getting a practice. Like, she has such fulfillment in that. And she just wow. needed somebody to tell her that she's successful as a successful mother. So that's an audience that I never would have got if I was just an urban street girl. Yeah, and because it connects with urban, although to emphasize your point, it reminds me of, um, I forget what music video it was, but Nas wore the t-shirt, I am the American dream. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you remember the song. Well, it wasn't, I know I can, I know I can be what I want to be. I'm pretty sure it was that song. God, I, dude, yeah. I just remember that fucking image of like, yeah, dude, you are the American dream for so many people. And then it made me think like, wait, I'm the American dream for somebody. And then like exactly. you start applying that and you're like the soccer mom. Fuck, man, that's the American dream for some people. Yeah. And why is that a bad dream? That's an amazing dream. And going to your brand, and I, I didn't get to say this, but like the success is certain to me took me to that I am the American dream type vibe of like the, it, it, I don't know, everything. It, it, it's it's relative. You, you, you are successful if you are more like, not functioning, but functioning. <laughs> if you are growing, if you are getting after whatever is important to you, like that's success. And you can We're get there. We're all successful to somebody. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. There's man. somebody, it could be as simple as somebody who, like I said earlier, like wants to have a family, wish they could have kids, for some reason couldn't. They're like, man, I would love to be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, it, it's just, we only think of success as one way. And, even within that, we still can't really distinguish it. We just think success is money. But, like, there's rich, miserable people. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? There's rich, depressed people. So, again, like, I like that it starts that conversation because yeah. just starting that conversation and getting the wheels turning, I think it's something that needs to happen. Because, like I said, I just meet so many people who are depressed and don't feel like they have any self-purpose because they're not doing something that's so, so like not even in like you want to you're equating success with somebody that to somebody that you've never met before and that nobody within your immediate circle or your extended circle has done or has ever do, like why is that your measure of success yeah why is that your comparison you know, why why like what you know what i mean so again like <clears throat> uh, especially after covid i felt like People needed to still feel like they had some graciousness and things to be grateful for. And they still needed to have that conversation with themselves and what fulfills them in life because a lot of people had to pivot and, and, and figure out a, thing, a way to make things work and things of that nature. And I just felt like, you know, it was a blessing for me because it allowed me to come up like, all right, let me make up. Like I said, so like one of my shirts is called Perspective. And it's a quote from Oprah Winfrey that says, the greatest thing you can do in life is be grateful for what you have now. So the shirt perspective is a shirt that says, I used to pray for what I have now. Because I used to, and then I had prayer hands in the middle for what I have now. So I'm like, I thought that was pretty cool. Like, this is my perspective drop. 
here's the shirt, here's a couple colors, boom, boom, boom. Like, so again, just continuously making things that go with the brand. And, you know, you'll still get those people. Like, I get so many, uh, I don't want to say rebuttals, but like, like people will be like, oh, I would love this if you had it in this color, though. Like, oh, I'm like, bro, you don't go to Gucci website and see a red and a blue one and act that you got a green one. Like, you don't do that. Why are you doing that to me, Mr. Small Businessman? Like, you, I have what I have. This is not a clothing company. This is a lifestyle brand. If you, but the people that feel it, the people that understand it, that's the I get so much value in it because that's the person who I don't even have to sell anything to them. They just know. And that was what was so important for me to create my own logo and everything. Like, I created my logo from scratch. Like, it had meaning to it. And in doing so, the value of a logo with a message People will pay $80 for a shirt that has a small-ass Nike sign on the chest because Nike means something to them. They get a feel yeah. when they see this thing with polo, something like that. So if I drill people in the head, that's a certain, this is what it means, this is what it means, eventually I can just put a shirt and just have a logo on the front. What's that? What's that your shirt? Oh, is that the shirt? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you see all the athletes with it. Like Kyle Lowry has his own logo. Steph Curry, yeah. TB12. Like that's one of the first go-tos now <clears throat> for athletes is what's my brand? How can I symbolize that? And um, You I don't are if, your brand. Yeah, You're right? your brand. Sean's your brand. You're your brand. Yeah. God help me if I'm my brand. But like... You're, you're I, figuring <laughs> it out, but you, you are your brand though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I wonder like, I guess... Clothing wise, I'm trying to think of Nike because yeah, dude, like that was, dude. I remember cutting like four lawns to catch a bus to a. It was Peebles, and I was so excited to buy a Nike shirt that I went and fucking got the first biggest swoosh I could find. <laughs> threw down. It was like twenty five thirty dollars. And it was a huge amount of for a fucking white t-shirt. So, you know, that thing's only good maybe twice. And right. dude, I was so geeked. I put that bitch on Monday morning, hop on the bus and me. And dude, back then I was five, nine, a buck 35. Why is my ass in a double XL? Cause I'm hey, so excited. Care, man. That was the vibe. Man. <laughs> no, dude, I didn't mean to get a double XL. That was the worst part. I was so geeked on the brand. I never fucking tried it on to be like, how do I look in it? I just <laughs> happened to get like a double XL and felt like a fool. But the brand attracted me and what Nike stood for, the quality, mm -hmm. the value, the flex of I got money. You know, like yeah. it, it really is one of those human. I don't know if it's strictly American. I feel like that's a worldwide I feel like it's a people, once you reach a certain level of comfort, you start getting into brands represent lifestyles. And that really matters. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, you got to think, like, what do they say? Like, you'll never see a, not a Lamborghini, what's the car? You'll never see a, I don't know, what, whatever car it is, you'll never see a commercial for it. Like, our people aren't Oh, Tesla. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's like, like, we don't do Tesla commercials. It's all social media, yeah. word of mouth. Right. Like, it's. Like, yeah, like, eventually you get to a point to where a brand is, has its own meaning to you. And like you said, it can be a status symbol. And, and and that's why I say, like, we need to take value in our own stuff. Because it's like, 
people go out of their way and break their necks to get something from Gucci and things of that nature, but they repeatedly show you how they value you as a customer when they do suspect shit that they're in the news for. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, it happens all the time, and you know, but it's just like, yeah, like, I want people to be able, and that's another reason why I want people to feel um, involved. Like, I repost anybody who ever, like, bought something that takes a picture, and I repost them. So, you know, that, that's a chance for them to have their stuff re-seen or like what company does that like you know what i mean like nike's not going to repost you wearing their shit you know what i mean like you know so i i try to you know keep it as personal as possible i call you know people i call the, the, my followers and customers and clients i call them the tribe like you guys are my tribe tribe members i do tribe tuesdays every tuesday i try to post people that have worn things and things of that nature but you know we're, we're just kind of conditioned to to value certain materialistic things more than others you know, so it's like the way somebody would go run and post a picture with their new coach purse and make a post about it and take pictures and tag coach. Now, mind you, coach isn't going to see that. They don't got nobody that's going to retweet that. They don't need you to do that. But you need to take more pride in doing that with these small companies because me, I actually, I, I can actually use that. Yeah. You're doing that. You know what I mean? Especially when I'm going above and beyond. Like, I send out all my orders in like a little specialty bag. I don't got to but I do it because it goes my brain in. You know, those stickers and things that had a motto and things of that nature. Like, I take pride in it. I do that because I want to do that. But I'm just saying we're conditioned to value certain brands and things. Now, don't get me wrong. They probably worked hard to get that brand recognition. You know what I mean? So I'm still working towards that. But, you know, I just think we're conditioned to value certain things more than others. You know, we should do a lot more for smaller companies and things of that nature because, like I said, that picture you took for them, man, I could use that picture and retweet it, you know, a hundred times. That's not going to happen on these other sites. Yeah, man, it's <clears throat> the small business support. That That's like the shrinking middle class when they talk yeah. about the wealth gap. It feels like in America, there's a business gap. And I'm not a huge business guy. I don't understand business. I don't really have a business, um, but... It just seems in my area in Delaware and with what you're saying, like you're corporate or you're barely making it. And mm. that kind of sucks, man, that there's not that middle class of sustainable, yeah. sustainable business, sustainable capitalism. And you would hope there would be because they're the people that are small enough to take risks on people who need risk to be taken for them to overcome a circumstance in their life because they'll know the person's story. It's personal enough where the decision maker can help people out. And it sounds like yep. that's kind of what you're vibing for is like, Hey man, I'm small enough where people are into it. Like I get to be a part of them, which is really cool. If you're creating something and you get to create a tribe, you get to help build right. a tribe. Right. Yeah. Like I said, man, I, I enjoy it everything you know this, this journey thus far and it'll be a it, it'll last forever it'll be a part of me forever if i stop today you know i'm i'm proud of it like i said it's yeah. two legs it got a lot bigger than i thought it was going to and you know there's definitely room to grow and there's things that i'm doing and you know sometimes there's pressure to continue to enhance the message and do new things and things of that nature but overall man i take more pride in just having integrity in this type of business because you know you'll see you know, people will make shirts and just throw the word God into it because they know they could, you know, monetize that off of a certain group of audience people. Like, you'll see, like, God is dope. is a dope company. I remember when they started off small, but then you'll see something that just be, 
they'll take the same type of shirt, use the same design that's put like, God is my homeboy or something. You know what I mean? I didn't want to, like, that hurts me. I didn't want, that gets back to what we were saying earlier about TikTok is the same thing over and over again. It's taking away their originality and things of that nature. Like, I don't, I didn't want to do that. Like, if I'm going to do this, then it's going to be my way. And, you know, if it blows up, it blows up. If not, then it'll be a, a time capsule and, and the life is done. Dude, I love that. I, I love when, and I don't know, man. I love when people create shit and they own it and they're happy with the results. Like yeah. you sound very at peace, like whatever. If it sucks, it sucks. I tried. It was me. I didn't like change. I didn't try to conform. I did it my way. It's like that, whatever, Frank Sinatra song. I did it my way. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. they, like, they've been trying to tell us, man, for 60, 70, 80 years. Like that's how yeah. shit should be done. And Another thing I realized is you only could be, you only could be mindful of what you can control. So long as my shit's on point, like I know my shit is dope. Like I know that I put a lot of time in having like quality materials. I know that I put a lot of time in like when I do create like a, a ad, like a video that's like you know a short like like a like actual video that I have film and things that make sure that I will run a paid ad for. Long as my content and everything is to where I think it should be. I'm ready for when that transition into blowing up does happen. You know what I mean? So I can only control what I can control. Like, you know how things go. Like, things go viral for, for doing stupid shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I can't get caught up in trying to, like, and I haven't always been like this. I just told you a situation where I stopped something that was a passion of mine because I wasn't getting validation. Yeah. But now I'm just at peace with, you know, like, my shit is dope. I got people that are validate. My shit is dope. You know, should more people know that it's dope? Yeah. Is this going to happen? And when it will happen, it'll happen. But until then, I got to continue to make dope shit because what happens, you have these companies that have been around for a while over over time as they get popular and get bigger, they kind of, you know, cut corners in certain things. The quantity falls off, you know, things of that nature. So I'm cool where I'm at right now. I like the way I'm ascending. And I think the sky's the limit for it, you know? So right now, I've just started doing um, athletic apparel, and that was a way to kind of tie in the mind and the, the spirituality part of what I'm doing into the body, because I think it's all connected. So again, I took the time to find quality workout materials. Like, I wanted to make sure I got stuff that was squat-proof, not see-through. You know, the things that I hear people complain about when they talk about their workout clothes. Like, mm. you know, so in taking time to do that, you know, like, again, a person that's just making t-shirts, or just make, they're not thinking of stuff like that. They're just putting stuff on a t-shirt. Stomach. So I take pride in knowing that I'm not cutting corners on what I'm doing. And the people that value stuff like that, they're going to feel it too. Do I love it. Um, yeah, I, and it's funny because success is certain. Maybe it's the circles I'm running in, but I feel the successful athletes that I've dealt with, like that's their thing. They feel, they know there's some sense of like fate where I need to get seen. I need to show up to tournaments to get the exposure, but the exposure won't matter if I've not put in the work and my success is certain. And this is what I'm not, I'm not trying to like pigeonhole your brand into anything, but like, I look at it like my success is certain if I've put in the work and I right. see that as very much a sports mentality at least around mm -hmm. here and the kids I'm around, like, dude, fucking work. Like you want something, work for it, train, get in the gym. And that'll make your success certain. And yep. 
I, I think that's a natural sports lane. Yeah, like a sports brand. Yeah, and and that, that's one of the reasons why uh, another reason why I felt the transition was necessary to go into the athletic apparel. I mean, even though you can wear a t-shirt doing anything, but like yeah. you know, like specifically athletic material because like you got to think most of most of the gym apparel, weightlifting apparel is all based around like a phrase you know, focus yeah. or one lap. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and you're again, trying to look good. Just, like not, not only are you trying to have it functional, but you're trying to like look good as you work out. Exactly. Exactly. So I think they said something like, what is it considered? Uh, athleisure? Or, yeah. Athleisure, leisure pair is like one of the most profitable, like, you know, designations of clothing anyway. Like it's very, but like, you yeah. know, Lululemon and Fabletics and all that stuff. Dude. But then it once the you know, motherfucker figured out to put you in jeans that aren't made of jeans, but are really made of like yoga stretch pants, yeah. it's a wrap. It's done. It's done. Like that's it, man. Like nobody wears jeans just to wear jeans. Unless you're like a rancher, you got to deal with the elements. But if you're wearing right. jeans cause they look good, you're trying to have a better fabric on them. Right. And, and God bless yoga pants. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I am so, we have that talk all the time. Like growing up, it was nothing but sweats and like right. oversized hoodies. And you, yep. you never knew like the difference between a seven and a 10 when you were trying to like determine who do I really want to focus my attention on? It was kind of easy to get duped. Like layers were real. Bagginess yeah. did not help. The fact that it is just on Legging. display. Leggings are on display. Like, Women are like, yo, this is who I am. And then dudes are like that too. Like, yo, it's form fitting. And um, yeah. it's nice that it uh, doesn't lead to deception. You know what you're getting into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, that, that's the quote, leggings, period. Like, just, I'm like, yo, I'm so glad this wasn't around when I was in school, man. I would have been in so much trouble, man. Dude, we, leggings is different. I'm like, man. Like, and you know, like, it's comfortable attire for most, like, they wear, you know, some women wear leggings every day. Yeah. They have a pair of black leggings. <laughs> Dude, black you leggings know, are like, yeah, the go-to. Yeah, like, so, you know, it, it's funny because when you brought up the, the 2X t-shirt, that literally took me back in time. Where I was just talking to my homeboy the other day back in the baggy clothes era. Like, I used to literally walk into the store and ask what was the biggest size jersey they had. And literally, like, I had a couple 5X jerseys, and I was just... <laughs> I'm rocking a 5X. I had a 5X Lamar Odom Clippers jersey, and I would rock that thing. <laughs> like, the baggy era was a sick time, man. <laughs> like, my clothes were ridiculously baggy. Like. It's so stupid. T-shirts where the short sleeves would go like three quarters, but they were actually yeah. T-shirts. It's like, yep. what do you what do? You do? Below the elbow. They would be below the elbow. Dude, it was, yeah. Like, you could have... Yeah, you could have like wrist tattoos and t-shirts, not long sleeve, just t-shirts would cover up a wrist tattoo. <laughs> hey, man, it was a it was a good time to be alive. It was easy to it was easy to put on clothes. Like I would just wear a, a, a tall tee, like a white t-shirt, and some fresh Air Force Ones and a pair of blue jeans. Couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's amazing that Air Force Ones are still such a thing. Like kids, I don't know what it's like around you, but kids don't want to crease those fuckers up at all. And they exactly. walk slow and stupid, and it's completely accepted just right. so that they don't crease in Air Force One. It's amazing well, that brand is still what, on What I point. have noticed, and now this is this is something that I'm, I've been noticing more, and apparently it's a thing. 
But when I was coming up, you didn't want to mess up. Like you said, you didn't want to mess up your Air Force. You wanted to keep them white as possible. Shit, I remember sometimes we would put plastic bags on them when we was out at recess, so we wouldn't mess yeah. them up. Like, it's or if it's years. raining, get on the bus. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, you won't mess up. But now, I'm finding, like, there's a lot of, like, young girls that, like, they wearing them beat up now. Like, they, they're wearing them. I don't know where did that start, but I, every time I see it, my partner Search up Andre's psyche on social media. Give him a follow. Yeah. the fuck of it. <laughs> it's like Here a thing. Like, I, if some you enjoyed getting to know like, today's guest or just like want to support this like, upstart podcast, go to Logan Warren, right? Well, it makes sense, like, the pants, the whole, like, shredded pants and, like, worn pants. And for us, we got a little bit of a surf skate culture. So, Vans, you get your white van. You don't want to keep your white vans dirty. You want to get your white van scuffed up because it makes it look like you were doing Instagram, Facebook. But, like, Air Force Ones... Go to Apple. Like, I, we played against one dude who actually and balled final. in Air Force Ones in if middle school. And I still remember him, like, would like to become a sponsor this of, dude, and I'm, like, yelling at the kids. I'm, like, you you're going to let some kid in Air Force Ones hit you and light you up with jumpers? You can't stop a dude in 20-pound shoes? You know, because, like, nobody ever wanted to do anything outside than look good, outside of looking good in them. So, yeah, that, to me, does not seem on brand with Air Force Ones, the fact that you would but want them scuffed. I get disgusted when I see it. But, like, apparently it's a thing. When you, when you talk, I got a younger brother who's about seven years younger, so the generation is a little younger than him. Like, it's, like, 22 to 25. Like, yeah, they're wearing beat-up Air Force Ones, man. I can't believe it. Hurts my little heart. Yeah. <laughs> they, they got time to repent. Don't worry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't look back and be like, what the fuck was I doing? <laughs> this, is why all, this is why all you do is take selfies, because you're so embarrassed about your shoes. Yeah, you're embarrassed with your beat-up shoes. I literally couldn't believe it before. I was like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> Not the white on white? No. Yeah, it, the, it, in no way. I can get a skater shoe to look beat up, but like an Air Force... Nah, dude, just, just everything about them... Would not look good. Now, I'll tell you what was really cool was when the white on whites, people were like custom painting them with the markers yeah. and the decals yeah. and like making their own logos or like dripping off of the Nike logo. Yeah. That right. to me was super clean and super cool. Right. Yeah. That, that's a lot better than just dingy ass. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, dude. I don't know. Those little, little whippersnappers. <laughs> Get off my Get off my grass. Stay Get off, off the lawn. selfies. <laughs> Keep your Air Force it's Ones clean. Alright, John, man. Thank you um so much for coming on. I'm glad it's funny. I'm glad you remembered um the comment that uh led to our connection. Cause yeah, I, I'm trying to branch out to just different social media buckets like i don't i originally started with like finding people who uh commented on joe rogan just because yeah. i figured if they did that they would be into long-form conversation um mm -hmm. but that shit can turn into an echo chamber so you know i'm trying to yeah. branch out and um i'm so glad i did man i had no idea fucking kentucky foot I, I thought you were a clothing guy i had no idea we would i would get all this um like yeah, college man. athlete play, stuff play going into it that that that's the awesome. What's that? I said, yeah, I played ball probably like 16 years ago. Like I said, since I was six years old. Like I've been playing football forever, man. 
Yeah. Like that's, that, that's what I love about this is the randomness of discovering, holy shit, a college athlete. And I think we talked for like 40 minutes about mortgage stuff. Like, yeah, I'm a mortgage nerd, man. I, I'll be talking to strangers, and next thing I know, we're just sitting here talking about interest rates. Like, how did I become this guy? Because that guy gets bank, man. That guy gets uh, bank. It's cool, man. But yeah, man, I appreciate this conversation. I think it's dope what you're doing and just talking to people. And like I said, man, this comes back to it. What I was saying is just like getting to know your neighbor and, and just people from different walks of life, like. I don't feel like people do enough of this, but to do this on your platform, man, I hope it's something that you definitely stick to and, and understand that it's necessary out here because everybody else out here just trying to interview people that are, you know, chasing a viral moment, man. That's just fake, man. Like, keep talking to people. keep Because these are the real people. You're going to meet more people like me than you're going to meet more than, I don't know, the Island Boys or whatever that's viral and stuff like that. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, those dudes. I cannot imagine yeah. trying to have a conversation with those cats. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't stare at him this long. Like if you, if you look like one of them right now, I would have had to hang up. Like, dude, I can't look at you, man. I can't talk to you. Like, like, look at you. Like, I can't. Like, but, but nah, man, I, I appreciate it. It's, it's crazy. A, a Nick's comment led to this, man. But I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation. And you know, I'll definitely, you know, do my part in letting people know about your platform and continue to try to spread the good word on, on my platform too. So if you don't mind me plugging the website real quick. Yeah, no, and um, all, and I'll ask you for the links. Though uh, any links that you want will be in the description. So if anybody listening um, is looking to get up with you, all that will be in the description. But go ahead. Right. Perfect. Yeah. So the website is uh, com and um, the Instagram page. Somebody apparently took success is certain, so success dot is dot certain underscore is the Instagram page, and also have Facebook. But yeah. Um, Check it out. We got some pretty cool things. And like I said, we're just trying to stay on brand, spread positivity. And, you know, hopefully somebody, you know, learned something today and maybe they start to think what success means to them and what fulfills them in life. Yeah, man. And I, yeah, that's, again, the cool thing uh, to me is if you just want to generalize it, you've got a clothing brand that branched off from D1 football and mortgage loan paperwork and like you have this weird triangle of like oh and by the way you're really into hip-hop and like not only are you into hip-hop you articulate and are confident in your opinion so you're educated in things and you start developing all these little trails about you're not one thing you can be so many things and to me that's that's the shit that I love that's empowering is like, man, find passions and pursue them. Yeah. Um, plus, you don't be to... afraid to fall on your face, man. No it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. The it's fear of failure. Dude, that's another thing we could be old men about with social media is like that just makes them so fucking scared. That makes kids terrified of failing is the fact that it's going to mm-hmm. be recorded. It, uh... Yeah. Your, low, your lows are televised more so now. Yeah. Right. And, I, and that goes into why they celebrate the high so much because you just look like you're everything in your life is dope but nobody's feeling like that it's all fake yeah all right man hey it was great being a boomer with you john <laughs> and it was uh great getting to know you man thank you so much for your time and um i look forward to following you and just seeing what happens through uh perfect. social media and con and interactions all right man perfect man good hearing from you man yep thanks again all right love it.